Hello everyone, uh, welcome to episode 13, got it right this time, of WeGCast. Uh, we time are, for everything. Uh, the, well yeah, it's like it was doing, doing pretty well, I re- recited it and everything. Uh, and I've just went and interrupted. I know, thanks Dave, thanks for that a lot, cheers. Uh, Shall we start the intro again or just fucking just run no, with th- it? this is the intro, I'm just... This, this is the intro, you just been a cunt basically, uh, there we go, first sea bomb of the On drop. brand. On brand, got, got to have it in. Anyway. I'm so glad that you, you, you've made the pronunciation first otherwise I would have called it wedgie cast but I'm glad you called it wedgie cast and, and made that clear up front because now I know no, no one's ever questioned that like, oh uh, shit no. well I know to be fair John was a troll last time because he was like is it wedgie cast or wedgie cast and I was like this is not anyway right welcome to episode 13 uh, this this month this week uh, we're still in lockdown again uh, we've recorded two episodes in one month or we're about to record this episode uh, this month we have Mr Chris Pritchard also known as Ghosty Chris, who are you and what do you do? Uh, I am a, a person. That's who I am. And um, I, I guess my official job title is security consultant, which is a nice disguise for all manner of weird things. Uh, <laughs> and I obviously work for um, Pentest Partners. Sweet. How how long have you been in the industry? Oh. Like just, just rough. We we don't need like days, yeah. minutes, hours. Okay, like, good. oh, it's been about seven. <laughs> Crack so out your CV. Like, <laughs> yeah, look it up right now. Um, <laughs> so, are you? Uh, I'm still gonna have to work it out in roughly in years, aren't I? So, uh, pen tester for five years. Uh, Dyson for three. Southwest Water for twelve. So. Uh, 12 plus, uh, what's that, 18 years? We, we'll go with a wee while. <laughs> okay, yeah, a couple of years. A couple of years, yeah. Yeah, that's and a it, long time. Like, um, and like, and so I guess the, we, the way we tend to do it is just kind of start from the very beginning uh, as uh, and get your origin story. So what, mm. how so how did that start then? What, what was your first kind of impetus to go and kind of land a job in security? So... When I first started with um, Southwest Water, I was IT support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, um, and, we, and in those days, we used to alternate between manning the help desk for a week to then rotating onto second line support for a week and then rotating onto third line support for cool. a week and then back onto the help desk again. Um, and I'd always had a, a, an interest in security, so I'd started studying it in my own time at home and stuff. Um, you know, usual sort of stuff, reading books, and then um, a, an opportunity came up at, at Southwest Water and, and a few of us applied for the job and I was really lucky that I got it. Um, and they said, right, we're, we're going to make you the IT security analyst, just the one for the whole company. And um, we're going to give you this job, um, but we want you to meet some objectives. We want you to become CISSP certified within three years and we want you to to get the company ISO 27001 certified in in two years I think it was or vice versa I can't remember which way around it was mm-hmm. um and yeah so I, I I did both of those things in under those times um and yeah that that was what set me off and then industrial control systems corporate IT security and then oh yeah ISO 27001 audits I mean they're a joy um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so, oh god yeah 
Uh, I was really lucky. We, we had an awesome auditor, a guy called Kevin, um, and he was a phenomenal auditor. He was really pragmatic, and, and if you explained stuff to him and, and showed him why you were doing certain things in a certain way, he was like, yep, that is fit for your business and works for you. You've put thought into it, so that's a tick. Um, but he was ex-REF, so he had these lovely stories, like amazing oh. stories of when he worked in Saudi and, and Belize and all these other places. So lunch times with him were just fascinating, really, really fascinating. Yeah, he was a really cool guy. Um, yeah, awesome. So yeah, that's how I got started. Yeah, no, that's it. That is really interesting. It is. So I've worked uh, uh, second line, uh, second line, and kind of broadband before, which is effectively kind of like first line. Uh, but uh, we never had that kind of rotation that you're kind of describing there. Like, and I can imagine, and I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this that have maybe worked in kind of first and second line before uh, can appreciate that probably that ability to skip between you know the customer facing side on the help desk and then each kind of different level. It must have kind of it must have been quite a tight or kind of organization uh, or it kind was. Of operation you had. It, it was really good. It was really really good. And then um, and this is this is a word of warning for any CISOs or, or IT directors out there. We, we had a new director come in and he wanted to get to know everybody, and so he interviewed all these people, everybody in the IT team over a period of weeks. And just sort of said, what are your what are your bugbears? And of course, everybody complained they didn't want to be on the help desk anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they created a dedicated help desk team uh, that literally just locked calls. But in actual fact, that was actually a really bad idea because although it was a pain being on the help desk, it was actually really good because first of all, because rotating on second and third line support, you got to understand how to solve problems, which meant you could then solve them on the first line when you yeah. actually answered the help desk. For sure. Um, but you also then, when you change that system and you just logged help desk calls, you then lost that ability to fix any of the problems and you yeah. just got a bit complacent, I guess, and and you just logged calls and and the, the number of tickets that were resolved at first line went down massively and they all went to second and third line um, yeah. so yeah if you're thinking of doing that don't because <laughs> although, although everybody on the help desk complains about being on the help desk and you know wants to be on second and third line support it's actually a really good idea to rotate them yeah, it would be and keep never it keeps people engaged. Like, um it's easy to kinda of probably get quite bored and apathetic when you're just getting on first line getting just slung shit like exactly. constantly. Like so the ability to be able to kinda of learn to fix stuff and then have to go back to it. I'd imagine yeah. you uh, there is a definite issue with third line treating first line like utter dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> One of the places yeah, I've yeah. worked. And I'd imagine that must just disappear when you're all gonna be in that trench at some point. Yeah, exactly because you're well, on, on you go. I suppose you're sort of learning the, the, the different levels within the business as well because those that work in first may not have experience with second and third and, and vice, vice yep. versa and Definitely. By, by doing yeah. each role you're kind of getting that insight so you're not slinging shit up when realistically you don't need to because you're actually going to be on that role the next week or whatever exactly. the, the rotation yeah. period is yeah and that's exactly what I was just going to say so you, you, you were more motivated to fix things on first line because they were going to be waiting for you on second line next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were like, I might as well fix this now. Spend some time on a call and, you know, I don't know, do an RDP yeah. session or whatever. And, and 
I'll fix this now. Otherwise, it's just going to be sat in a queue waiting for me when I go to second yep. line next You're week. You're effectively just slinging shit at yourself, like, which is just, <laughs> yeah. not, just not yeah. a good <laughs> yeah. there, there's, there's only one person that does that on Twitter, and that's Mr. Cyber Gibbons, really. <laughs> <laughs> he's very good at that. He's, he's been very well versed at doing that. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that is a, and also I think I always find that interesting hearing people kind of come in from the same background as yourself is because there must be so many people uh, and myself included um, that are in that position where they're seeing you know maybe doing a first or second line job or even help desk and that's they're seeing that as going to be their entry into you know the security industry because it just kind of, I guess, kind of makes sense if you're security centric and you're doing these kind of jobs helping people anyway. It's a kind of natural progression. So, um, what would be your advice for someone that's maybe kind of followed a similar career path to yourself and uh, making that leap into security? Um, so, my suggestion would be obviously study as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Engage with things like this, you know, like read Andy's book and all that sort of stuff. But, if you want to be noticed in the company that you're in already, then my suggestion would be in your like reviews or, or, or whatever you're having with your team leaders or managers or whatever, bring up security, bang on about it. Yeah. You know, make it make it so that they get bored of you almost saying, <laughs> "Hey, we need an antivirus," you know, or we need. Uh, Intrusion protection, or we need this, or have you seen the number of phishing emails that we're getting in? And just keep banging on about it until they go, oh, bloody hell, I'm bored of hearing about this. Let's give Chris the job. It's Chris Security Pritchard. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's half on one again. (laughs) Fuck it, lads. (laughs) Yeah, so that that would would, would be my advice. Bang on about it. And then, A, you'll get recognized for having an understanding of these things but also people will then start coming to you when i don't know a phishing email gets through or 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 a virus works on someone's desktop or or whatever Mm. they're going to come to you they're going to because they go oh chris keeps talking about security and his one-to-ones well let's go and tap him up for some knowledge because he seems to know what he's talking about yeah lay some groundwork uh or uh, a foundation for um yeah, some of your managers, I guess, to kind of look for you when the time comes. Uh, that's really good advice. Um, something that I must admit, I never, I, I tend to engage a bit more than probably most people when I was working, like kind of second line jobs. So, you know, you get involved in the little extra projects. Eventually, I kind of got to the point I was known as that Excel guy uh, to a degree. <laughs> yeah, um, see, there you which go. It's kind of boring, sure, but it does mean people kind of rely on you when it comes to stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. What's your first memory of kind of tinkering with? With computers, then uh, not maybe so much work related, but your personal interest in uh, fucking things up. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is an indication of how old I am. Um, <laughs> my my first uh, collection, the recollection, if you like, of computers was was my Sinclair Spectrum, mm-hmm. and um, I I wrote a program that. Uh, so I, I used to live opposite a Barclays Bank, uh, and I wrote a program in Basic Sinclair, you know, Spectrum Basic, that um, pretended to be a bank login. And if you pressed, cert- and I programmed this, if you pressed certain key presses, it bypassed the login and got you straight into an admin interface, mm-hmm. as if you were the bank <laughs> manager. Yeah, cool shit. I tell you, back in whatever year that was, um, 
so yeah i i i don't know i must have been bloody bored uh, I, I, it must have been raining a lot or something i don't know or i had no friends at the time <laughs> but yeah uh so yeah i wrote this 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 login um application for for barclays bank that was across the road and and if you had a correct username and password then yeah you got into standard internet banking functions when you know the internet didn't even exist in those days um and if you didn't if you got the key press right then you got into the the bank manager's application and you could increase people's balances and all that kind of cool stuff yeah. hacks confirmed so, so you're exactly. basically modern day banking applications that's what you're saying <laughs> in sinclair spectrum <laughs> basic yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> Probably more secure. That uh, nah, <laughs> right. uh, um, yeah, so sure. shots fired. But. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure it was very secure. It wasn't a, a magic, a really amazing magic key press either. It was pretty. Just, just hit, the, hit the return key. I can't find the return key. Where? What? Yeah. Oh, I'm in the admin. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I, I must admit, see, we've had a couple of guests now, uh, you're not alone, uh, and kind of starting off in, in that kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word era, <laughs> but era of technology is probably calling people yeah, yeah. all there, Dave, I mean, you can't yeah. be, can't be doing that. I've been you quite ageist, that, you but, ageist. Like, like a fine wine, look, it's like, um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm always, whenever I'm hearing from people that kind of uh, started off around about that, I always do get quite jealous because it sounds like it must have been such a creative time because there was there there wasn't a playbook probably for you to write a lot of programs and there would be a big degree of kind of originality back then and maybe doing stuff that maybe someone hadn't done before or at least certainly you might not have read about whereas now obviously you come up with a great idea you you get a page into google and you you found somebody that's kind of done it from scratch and it's hard not to read it and take inspiration from it but yeah um, all those 20 how did you find it scotty uh, back then trying to do this stuff uh, was that a bit of a grind yeah absolutely yeah. I, you know there was no there's no internet yep there was there was no not even dial up you know not even 56k US robotics type dial up there was none of that and so and I think that's what's what's laid a good foundation for me is is that thought process because there was no looking up stuff and so it was a very much a trial and error what does this do what does that do oh what does this do oh oh well what mm. if i change this <laughs> you know all oh, right okay and and yeah you just experimented a lot and some people wasted a lot of time but they got to solutions at the end of it and yeah that was quite cool so i, I think that mindset has followed me through and I break a lot of stuff and then I work out how to fix it because that's what I did when I had a spectrum. Yeah, that's that reverse engineering effect, isn't it? And which is obviously such a big part of just generally security for a lot of people in those specific roles. Um, do you do much reverse engineering of stuff yourself at all? Either like uh, computers, software, that sort of stuff? <laughs> I used to. When I first started looking at security stuff, I thought I need to know reverse engineering, I need to know assembly, and I bought mm -hmm. a lot of books. And realistically speaking, at that moment in time, it was too much for me. Um, it, it was a step too far, and I needed to learn a lot of other basic stuff first before yeah. I stepped into that bit. Um, and now, really, uh, and, and you know, I did a lot of honeypot stuff, and so I thought, right, I'm really interested in. 
um, malware and I'm interested in how it was delivered. And so I set up lots of honeypots and um, I wrote stuff so that only email that was relayed that had an attachment on it was stuck in my queue everything else was passed on and then i looked at all of that stuff but yeah at the time when i first started getting into it it was too much and it was a, a step too far and it was a bit um it was a bit of a barrier really. yeah and so i've it come, wasn't still the come right across thing. this myself actually i mean um it's quite easy so uh, back maybe i'm gonna say maybe two years ago when I first kind of very much early started looking at security, like I almost dived straight in basically to like buffer overflows um, yeah. and that sort of stuff. And like, it's when I start, and don't get me wrong, like at a high level, you can understand anything if someone explains it well enough. But it's just, I started realizing like when you start to get into like immunity debugger and you're looking around and you don't understand yeah. what half the acronyms mean like and so at, at, it's very similar at that stage it was just it was just a step too far i can understand what it did but actually just trying to understand that but that's bit by bit kind of changing like kind of yeah and it's good it's good but it is difficult uh when uh you want to know how to do something and it's just beyond that reach and this is the thing there is the, you know security is such a wide subject that there's just so much and and oh, I've forgotten who I was talking to today I was talking to someone today and we were talking about the breadth of knowledge yeah. that you want to have but it, there isn't just enough hours in in the day to be able to um you know keep either know all of that stuff yeah. or or even have the hours in the day to learn all of that stuff and so you end up specializing in certain things that you know you're really attracted to or you're really interested in or or um you're forced into because of work or whatever so yeah it's it is difficult it is really difficult there's a lot of stuff out there to to know and learn I suppose one of the, the key points as well is um, understanding what you don't know and, and taking on board the mindset that nobody knows everything. And anyone, yeah. that th anyone that claims to do is a charlatan, really. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And that's a, I think for me, that's a, that's a massive point for anybody getting into this industry. Don't expect to know everything all of the time. Yeah. Because, you know, and Andy will notice... And, and you probably know this as well, me as a, as a pen tester, I do not know everything. And the amount of time yeah. I spend Googling stuff and go, oh, oh shit. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, now I understand that. You know, it's, yeah. it's a logic, it's a problem-solving process, and you go, how do I solve this problem? I know, I'll Google some stuff and read up on it a little bit. Oh, yeah, okay, now I understand it, and I can do this. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, you also sometimes as a pen tester, certainly I find you actually forget more, sometimes more than what you learn. So you you might <laughs> learn something very um, specific and very bespoke for one application or one specific area of a network. Then you don't use it for three years and you go, oh shit, what the fuck's that? And then you come back and you go, did this a while ago, but I can't remember what it is. And then you go and read up on it and then you, you relearn essentially what you learned three years ago or, or a certain period of time. And I think it's I think it's probably applicable to every specialist subject, especially in kind of like the, the red teaming sphere, because it's moving at such a rapid rate. Things that you knew today are going to be different tomorrow and, and vice versa next week and the week after and months months forward. So even if you step back and do other things, you, you can actually fall behind quite quickly. And I'd imagine it's probably... Um, is, is it kind of the same in the, the ICS side of stuff? Because um, obviously you've got more experience in the, well, 
I suppose what what is ICS and I was going to say yeah, we might want to define that one before uh, <laughs> before we dive in. Yeah. So um, ICS, the acronym stands for Industrial Control Systems or SCADA or SCADA if you're if you're based in the US uh, or OT Operational Technology, um, and that is the sort of the automated systems that control things. So think automated car manufacturing lines think um automated water treatment works think uh, food manufacturing that's automated all of the little stuff uh that that means that all of that process is automated is is falls under that banner banner of ics industrial control systems but um industrial control systems don't tend to move that quickly I'd say, Andy, in your area, in the red teaming, that seems to move the quickest. Yeah, um, I think so. Because that seems to be at the forefront. Yeah. Um, Whereas IDS, like, I guess it, it comes down to how long a production, I guess, a factory is going to use a particular system, and it's that kind of, like... Well, it could be, like, 25 years or, like, or, or longer. Yeah. I mean, there's been... Yeah. Get the most out of it. Chris has helped me on engagements where I've, uh, well, actually we, we stopped the production Chris and I didn't but, but um, my colleague and I stopped the production yeah. line for um, I think it was half a day or it might be a full day and it cost the company quite a lot of money um, and we kind of messaged Chris <laughs> going we found, we found this thing and we're not quite sure what it does and you're like yeah don't click that it's probably not a good idea and I was like oh okay I'll, I'll not click that then <laughs> yeah don't don't, Save don't brute force it don't yeah, yeah. Don't That's run it. password guessing against it. That's a bad idea. It's <laughs> not designed for that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and industrial control system, ICS stuff is is designed to be in situ for, like Annie says, 20, 25 yeah. plus years. In, in some cases more. It's really, really bloody expensive stuff, so they need to get the most out of it. And so what's in, the difference between... Uh, an IDS system compared to I think you uh, ICS. a standard system. ICS. 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 Too many acronyms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, so, uh, yeah. What's the what's the main kind of difference between industrial control systems and um, yeah, maybe just a normal computer for maybe some of the people that aren't too sure that also listen to the cast? Okay, so. Um, let, let's step back a little bit. Let's let's mm -hmm. let's understand why we have ICS systems. Um, so people are expensive, and, and let's let's relate it to an industry that that I come from that we've touched upon earlier. Let's talk, let's relate it to the water industry. Mm -hmm. So if you have um, a town that's got a hundred thousand people in it. And all of those people need clean water, and and those hundred thousand people also need to dispose of wastewater. <clears throat> and wastewater isn't just you know the stuff that you flush down the toilet, the brown and the yellow stuff, but also <laughs> um, the stuff that comes out of the air. You know the rain, the rainwater, and when you water in your garden, that all sort of goes back into a, into a drainage system, and that needs to be treated. So that 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 wastewater needs to be treated and at some point it's it's certified to be able to be put back into the river system or a reservoir or something along those lines so you've got 100,000 people they need clean water and they need um, their wastewater removed and purified and and 
essentially put back into the system at some point. Mm -hmm. So to clean water uh, for 100,000 people, that's probably quite a lot of manpower. And so people are expensive. And so what they did is um, in the sort of 80s and 90s, when the government sold off uh, the water industry, they mm -hmm. demand a lot of sites. And so they removed people from the process and they automated it. And so now they've gone, right, if we accept uh, or if we draw um, um, 10,000 litres of water from the river, that water isn't drinkable yet. And so we need to clean it. And this is the process that we need to do to clean that water. And they automated that process. Um, and the, the, there are various systems along the line that go, right, we've got some river water and we need to clean it and it needs to you know, go through, I don't know, 10 systems to be able to reach the standard that the, that the environment agency say is good for, for being able to consume and drink. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, what they did is they, they removed all the, the, the people from that process because it was arduous and, and labor intensive and required, I don't know, 20 people. And now they've got automated systems that do all of it for you. Uh, and, and, and it reports, we've taken a thousand liters or 10,000 liters or a hundred thousand liters out of the river. It's at this level of I don't know, dirtiness and it needs to go through seven processes, 10 processes to bake it clean and drinkable. And then we can put it into the, into the, the clean water system and you know, go in a water tower and people can drink it or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that automation is done usually by something called a PLC, another acronym for you. And, you know, we love <laughs> acronyms in this system. And a PLC stands for a programmable logic controller. And what it's saying is um, it, it's applying logic and it's saying, right, I've got a sensor and this sensor is telling me that this river water is, let's, let's simplify this. this, this river water is dirty to the power of 10. We need <laughs> to get it down to dirty to the power of one before we can put it back into the clean water system. And it, it works out this logic and goes, right, it's now dirty to the power of nine. Let's clean it some more, blah, 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 blah. Clean, 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 clean. How clean is it now? Oh, let's look at the logic. The logic says, yeah, it's clean to seven now, so we're getting closer. Let's let's clean it again and clean it again. And that's mm -hmm. roughly, in in the simplest of terms, what what an automated process like that does. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it says, yep, yeah, we've reached the recommended levels. We can shove that back into the uh, the the clean water system, and people can drink it now. And then it does the reverse and you get dirty water and the government says oh you, your dirty water has got to be treated to this level before you can put it back into the river or put it back into the sea or, or, or whatever um, and I think the UK now probably for the last oh, I don't know I'm guessing for the last 15 years possibly a tiny bit less they haven't dumped any raw sewage straight in onto a into the sea because they're not allowed to do that by by law mm -hmm. um and so yeah there's a there's a there's a sort of similar process but in reverse we now need to clean this water that is dirty before we can put it back into the river 
or the sea or or wherever and again that is an automated process and and one person will watch a screen and go yep all that water is clean now so we can put it back into the river and whatever happens to it happens to it mm-hmm. and that's it that is that is that is industrial control systems industrial right. control systems right there yeah 101 they they apply to lots of different things you know they apply to chemical plants they apply to petroleum processing plants they apply to the processes that uh, like the byproducts that come out of petroleum which is like and plastic and yeah. hydrogen and all that sort of stuff. So all of these things, because either they are um, expensive to do by like in terms of the number of people that you need, or they're dangerous because you know chemicals, petrol, etc. Fire, all that fun stuff. Yeah, you know the fire, yeah, the bad <laughs> stuff, <laughs> the bad stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, the bad stuff. Um, <laughs> it is is dangerous and so let's automate that process and we'll remove the people from it and put them as far away and as and as safe as possible and i'll, I'll there's a funny story that um um i won't mention his name because in our oil rig talk which is on the death count list he wanted to not have his name named so uh-huh. my colleague and i um we went and did a, a, a test at a, a chemical production plant and the chemical that they use, the base chemical, is highly, highly, highly explosive. Mm. Uh, to the point that it is odourless, it is um, clear, it looks like water if it's in a, a liquid form, but it's, it's normally a gas. Um, and so, yeah, we went and tested this production plant. And um, what was really, <laughs> what was really telling is that all of the people who worked in this, this manufacturing place we're all in bomb proof rooms <laughs> and we oh, weren't shit. they situated us in a non-bomb proof room <laughs> so yeah we decided that we'd go that or test that one really slowly because <laughs> yeah, we didn't want it to blow up <laughs> i suppose i suppose on that topic what's what's the most interesting ics job you've been involved with obviously you don't need to mention any specific yeah. details but um the, the oil rig the oil rig test was 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 the best. It was it was interesting. Um, the the sales guy Nige had done a really great job on um, on getting the the right amount of time, you know, from a scoping point of view. Um, and the the job itself was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. It was really really interesting. Um, yeah, look at look at. I think it's under the Maritime Village on Def- Defcon's website where Cyber Gibbons and, and I talked about it. We'll put it in um, the show notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be in there. It's uh, in fairness. We don't, we don't um, have show notes, Dave. We never have show notes. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Uh, this is a bit of a running joke. <laughs> I've yeah. just interrupted your good talk. Uh, talk no, no, it's fine. Carry on. Uh, so that was a really cool test. It was really awesome, and um, I mean the DeadFCon talk itself is not brilliant because I think Cyber Givens and I were a bit. That was right near the end of our DeadFCon experience, and we were a bit jaded from jet lag and and all those yeah. kind of good things. Um, but yeah, that that oil rig test was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. 
So did you go on site for this? Um, yeah. I'm assuming, or is this all remote, if that's even yeah. possible? What? Yeah. yeah, well, this is the thing. This is what they wanted to know. They wanted to know, could we hack an oil rig remotely? And we said, I don't know. Let, let's find out. This yeah. is what we need. This is what we need to do. Um, and so what they did is they worked out when an, one of their rigs was going into sort of like a service period, like a maintenance period, and it, it was brought in from being offshore to being moored up essentially against mm-hmm. the side of a, of a wave break. And we went to it when it was there. It was there for, I think, about three months uh, and we went to it and what, what we did, and this was what was really, really fantastic about it, is we went there because in industrial control systems, and, and in, well, this, this is everywhere, in fact, in corporate spaces just as well, and you've probably come across this, if you are somebody for a network diagram, like the latest network diagram, oh, you go, here you go, yeah, we've got 10 <laughs> devices. Well, hold on a minute, you've got a 1,000 employees. How have you only got 10 devices? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, we haven't updated this since, you know, 1997 or something. <laughs> right, okay, cool. Um, and it was exactly the same. So we asked for network diagrams and, you know, instrumentation diagrams and all that kind of good stuff that should, in theory, <laughs> in theory exist. And um, we went out there and, and, and for the first time and verified what was on the diagram on the bit of paper and what was actually present on the rig. And it was <laughs> like... Hold on a minute. What the hell is this? This doesn't exist. The world's is, apart. Yeah. Nothing like it whatsoever. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we spent a good week sort of looking around. And, um, oh, I mean, Cyber Gibbons was was absolutely in his element from his from his old maritime days. And he was, oh, he was crawling down trunnels and like, <laughs> I, he was, we didn't see him. I mean, we, we got picked up in a taxi at the end of the day. And, and dropped off a taxi at the, end, at the beginning of the day, and we'd see him for lunch, and, and then we'd see him when we were when we met up for, to leave for the end of the day, which was quite late because we we worked quite long hours on that particular job. Um, but, but yeah, he'd come back. I have found all this amazing stuff, and uh, yeah, he was just in his element. But yeah, that was really good. So we documented all the th- cool things that we found that were useful to support this case of could we get in from outside. And then we had a couple of weeks off the rig and we came home and we bought all of the things that we found or as near as damn it as we could, as we could get replicas of. Mm-hmm. And we hacked the shit out of those things. <laughs> and then we went back to the rig and went, there you go, let's hack the shit out of all of this stuff that we've done and, and, and you know, use all of these techniques that we've learned offshore or back at home um and and demonstrate them and then and then put them into practice actually live um and we had a really good so um there was a really good electrician so the electrician on board an oil rig is responsible for everything that's got electricity which includes all of the computery stuff like you know networks and pieces yeah yeah exactly poor bastard honestly (laughs) and he was really good um he's a really good guy and then we sort of go up to him and say, look, we want to disconnect your satellite or we want to disconnect your 4G or we want to disconnect your, your WAN accelerator or we want to disconnect your, your core networking or, or we want to disconnect. And he was like, yep, do it. It's fine, no problem. And the only thing he, he said you can't do is the propulsion systems 
because yeah. um, they were what were keeping the, the rig afloat <laughs> and, and, and level, <laughs> which we were kind of, you know, yeah, let's maybe not, let's not touch that. Um, and we did have a little look at it and it was really, really bad, but we didn't really, really break it. Otherwise, we might have sunk. Um, so that's an interesting one uh, specifically for the so I don't know anything about the, really these kind of engagements but um, when you're when it comes to industrial control systems uh, are they mm. very uh, unlike maybe a corporate network where most computers can probably ping each other like, and that sort of stuff like are these very isolated systems normally and are they connected normally to the internet or yeah are, are they separated intentionally to prevent m- malicious use danger <laughs> danger in the world yeah danger will Wilberson that's a massive red flag um, mm. Mm. so in theory all of the advice and all of the guidelines that the UK government give and, and, and governments around the world give is that these systems should be separated However, when you are talking about, let's, let's use the chemical manufacturing system, when you're talking about manufacturing um, chemicals for beauty products that are used in very well-known brand um, beauty products, whether that be you know shampoo or, or face cream or, or whatever, the business wants to know how much you're manufacturing. Are you producing um, 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 a thousand liters of this face cream, or are only only manufacturing two hundred liters of this face cream at the moment? And they need to know these things because that's how they drive their sales. And so then the business has got a, a vested interest in the output of your industrial control system, um, and they start demanding that they have connections into it. So in theory they are supposed to be separated mm-hmm. because they were never really designed to be networked in that kind of way. They were never really designed to be on a corporate network and they were never designed to be um, um, pinged or scanned or, you know, any of those. If you've got some, like, a vulnerability assessment tool, I mean, Nessus or, or whatever. Never, never Nessus them. Never, never Nessus them. Never, <laughs> never, never, never Nessus them. Um they're not designed for that, so they break and they fall over, and then as <laughs> Andy discovers, he lose production for half a day. We get, get some very <laughs> upset people very quickly, uh, as, yeah. I, as I found. But they understood, like they understood the risks and things. And the, the, the thing that made me laugh most about that job, so I'm stealing your thunder here, but that, that yeah, job okay, we were okay. on, the the head of security had overarching say and everything, and basically there was people running into the room going, "Why are you doing this? Stop doing this!" And he was like, "Nah, fuck us up from the inside." Show us how bad it can be, and we're like, I'm like, no, I'm gonna be honest here, mate. Like, we we can stop production right now and cost you millions and millions of dollars every single hour. And he was like, so be it. I was like, I yeah. mean, that's your funeral, not ours. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, yeah. better that you do it in a controlled environment than oh, no, th- this was somebody th- else. I guess. <laughs> this, this <laughs> no, 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 Dave, Dave, you're saying controlled environment. This was production. This isn't on like a, a test system. Uh, this, this is uh, like, fuck it, we're doing it live once. Well, uh, that must be nerve wracking. <laughs> it was terrifying. I think I think I've pinged Chris multiple messages going, fuck, 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 fuck. Send help. But that, for them, that was a really great test because 
that particular company, I don't think, had ever been tested no. to that extreme before. And they wanted to understand the risks. And yeah, I think, that's you know, what, what's beautiful about that is the security guy could go, hey, business, this is why we shouldn't be connecting the industrial control system, the production network, to the corporate, to the corporate network. network. Because <laughs> this can happen and then we lose production for, you know, in this controlled environment, it was lost for half a day. What if it was worse? And that's it. Yeah, and that's what the whole goal of it is, isn't it? Like to be able to analyze that and that was, discover where your weak points are. That was one yeah. hell of a fun job. That was that yeah. was uh, well, yeah. I I'll still I still remember all all the times and and the the look on uh, the look, yeah, the the look on my colleague's face, just absolute shock as he sat sat down and went, yeah, nothing's up. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, nothing is responding to ping now. And I'm like, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is the problem with industrial control system testing. It, it it's really slow. You have to do it in a very sensible manner. You have to be very cautious. You can't just you know you can't just plug in a vulnerability. If you want a corporate network, you plug in a, plug in a vulnerability scanner, and you go hell for leather, right? <laughs> you cannot do that on an industrial control system network. It will break. Uh, and there are instances where some of those things will not come back. Not that you just need to reboot them. They will not come back. Um, so, yeah, you have to be really, really cautious. So so the the unnamed colleague and I, when we go out, and we've done this multiple places and around the world, we, we go and walk the site. One of our criteria um for for doing these kind of jobs is we want the production manager the first day we arrive we want to do all the safety briefings and all that kind of stuff and then we want the production manager to walk us around the site and show us all of the systems that he manages and and, and runs and we may know notes of them and and then we come back and go right uh let's let's plug into the 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 production network and okay um, you do this bit um, because you know about those particular devices because you've got experience of them, and uh, and I'll do this bit because I've got experience of those devices, whether that you know be um, Siemens devices, GE, or whatever mm-hmm. other stuff, other stuff, yeah. Um, and that's yeah, that's the way we work, but it's slower it's much slower than a, than a corporate network test you just got to be more methodical i guess that's uh, and imagine must be a particular mindset that's needed for this and it's maybe not for everybody would you say is this quite a, um, a specialized no, thing yeah. it, it is a specialized thing but it's not it's not a hidden thing it's i mean anybody could do it mm-hmm. you just need to think and approach that kind of test differently and, and you know this is where Either experience comes into it or, or Google comes into it. And <laughs> the, the downside is in some of these production networks, you can't get access to Google, so you have to rely on experience. Um, you know that, uh, I don't know, a Siemens S7-1200 has got a web interface on it, and that's that's a PLC. Um, and so you've seen one because the production manager's shown you around the site and you've walked around it and you've gone, oh, make a note of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm. we made a note of that. Brilliant. Uh, has it got any details about the IP address? No, but, okay, we know it's in this particular section of the production facility. Great. Make a note of that and we'll, we'll, 
we'll come back to that note when we do the actual testing and you go and you go right okay i can see some traffic from this device and it looks like this because it's announcing itself as a, as a siemens device right we know this particular siemens device has got web interface can we get to that web interface and you just have to approach it differently very interesting yeah that's fascinating by and obviously how high cost or high risk as well if you're talking <laughs> yeah. about it's the shit that can blow up by uh, any given notice um, yeah. so I mean uh, uh, quite an interesting uh, or not interesting when I started out um, kind of last year you were kind of I think you and somebody else I don't want to say the name just because it's not my place to do so but you're kind of live tweeting another part of the kind of work that you do Chris yep. uh, which is kind of social engineering physical engagements um, mm. so for me that was really awesome because I the ability to kind of read what you're doing in real time really helps me, helped me put myself in your shoes to a degree and imagine what on what that's like on a day-to-day um do you want to tell us a little bit about your kind of social engineering experience and how you've ended up getting into that and um, we'll take it from there okay yeah hold on let me just that was quick, that was very formal quick. there dave we'll take it from there like it. i'd imagine it's a long interesting story oh, no, definitely. <laughs> that's that's one of the reasons why i wanted to get ghosty on one because he's an amazing guy and two because social engineers are fucking amazing yeah it's so cool so it is yeah okay so um the history and the and the backstory. So the backstory is um, I've I've always been interested in people and psychology type stuff, and that interest was my mum's fault. So my mum went back to um, Bristol Uni, or in fact, it was probably Bristol Poly back in those days uh, as a mature student. Um, and studied psychology and I used to like proofread her essays and I and I used to read all of the books and you know I'm talking a long time ago when I was a young teenager and I was like wow this is fascinating I didn't really understand all of it but I understand the the concept behind it I might not understand the big words that they were using but the 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 whole stuff around it was just like wow this is fascinating yeah. somebody is is exploring the brain and like why we think the way we do and why we act the way we do and this is really really interesting stuff because you know most stuff is pretty logical but the brain ne- isn't necessarily quite yeah. so logical <laughs> no not at all yeah no exactly so that was what sparked my interest in it and and i've always been interested in it and always read I mean, even way before I started in computers or or IT or anything like that, I've always had like body language, like basic body language books and stuff like that around the house. And and I read a lot of stuff and that's like, wow, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I joined PTP, um, I was given the opportunity because unfortunately one of my colleagues uh, just had an operation and he's, 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 very interesting himself and, and, and used to do all of this sort of stuff for, for PTP. He still does it a lot and, and is a phenomenal resource to, to be able to tap up and go, oh, what do you think about this? And, and Andy will know I'm talking about. I, I'm hesitant to name who he is. Cause, That's fair. Um, I think, I think, I think I know who you're talking about, but I'll, I'll probably yeah. ask you when we're off here. Yeah. Okay, so 
he couldn't do it because he had he had to have an operation which which limited his mobility for a bit. Ah, I know exactly who you're talking about now. Yeah. yeah. So the company came to me and said, "This is this location, this test is right near you. Are you interested in doing this?" And I was like, "Whoa! Yes, it's Christmas! Wow. I suppose so. Wow! Right, yeah, I'll try and calm down. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah." Um, and so they said, "Oh yeah, great, brilliant. You can you can ring this guy up and and he'll tell you and he'll give you some clues and some pointers. He's done he's done a bit of reconnaissance already. He can give you some suggestions." So I rang this guy up, and um, we, we chatted for a while, and he gave me some hints and some tips which were invaluable. Um, and and this this location that I the very first one that I did was big big. Um, place near nearby and <laughs> it had an underground car park and only the executives of this company were allowed in this underground car park or if you cycled to work and if you cycled to work you were allowed to park your bike in this underground car park there was a special cage because it was you know a sort of high theft if you like type area and I thought I've got a bike I can I can just pretend I'm cycling to work, that'll get me in, right, cool. So I did some reconnaissance, walked around the building a couple of days before. I spent a whole day sort of looking about, you know, what people look like, how they dressed, where they were, their ID badges, and how they got into this underground car park. And and the downside about underground park car parks is you can see the first bit, which is like the ramp, but you can't really go down it. Otherwise, you're probably going to get challenged. So yeah. there was an element of like surprise when you get to the bottom. Um, so the, the day I went to do it, I you know as as I've said in my live tweets, you're nervous. There yeah. is n- not really getting over any of that nerves, and you just have to learn to adjust. To those nerves and accept them and and, and use them to your advantage mm-hmm. um and so i sat opposite there was a road uh, sort of a relatively main road opposite and i sat on the other side of this main road and 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 i saw somebody approaching down a cycle path with with a uh, what i recognized to be the the outfit and the gear that were working in this particular company and i was like oh this is it this is the person i can tailgate Brilliant. Um, so I, I hopped on my bike and pedaled for like mad to, to catch up with this person. I crossed the road and I was so nervous, stroke, excited that I didn't look. I did not look. And it was two-way traffic coming down this road. God. I did not look when I crossed this road <laughs> because I was so focused on catching up with this particular person on their on their bike. And luckily, you know, did, didn't get hit, which would have been a, a catastrophe for the first <laughs> first time I did this. Um, and yeah, followed this person down and watched what happened when they interacted with the security guard when they got to the bottom of the ramp. And then, like, they nodded, and I, so I, the security guard nodded at me, and I nodded back because that's what the person in front of me did. And I was like, right, okay, and I got that's it, I was in. And then this person. Uh, went to the sort of caged area and locked their bike up. But it, it, they spent what I thought at the time was a long time, like, locking their bike up. 
and and fiddling around with stuff in their sort of wicker basket on the front of the bike. I thought, come on, I, I need to tailgate you in. How long can you spend realistically, like, picking your sandwiches up out of your wicker basket and, up, and locking your up. bike up? And I was like, come I'm on, on the I'm going to get... Exactly, I'm going to get busted. I, I, I'm, yeah, so I had to... I, I, had, I think I locked and unlocked my bike probably about six or seven times <laughs> while I was waiting for this person to get their stuff sorted. Um, and then... My my trick, if you like, at that particular one was I had two water bottles. And so I carried these two water bottles with, you know, there's me tailgating this person because there was a swipe door to get out of the car park into their stairwell. Um, and so I had these two bottles. And, and when I got to the swipe door and, and the, the, this person was, was there, I was like, oh, would you mind? Because I couldn't because I got these two bottles in my hand. So I couldn't realistically use my hands. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Let me do that for you. Bing. I'm in. So simple. Like, but also, did it rely or not? Was that, would you have considered it luck at that stage? Or is, is there just always going to be a point when you're doing these engagements where uh, crunch time, I guess? Like, and, and that, would, would you, that would be the crunch time, just where like, you've a bit of a gambit. Because if that doesn't work, I guess you're in a bit of trouble. Um, yeah. I and I guess this is the the high risk method that I use of my approach, if you like, mm -hmm. in that I tend well, not to, to go all or nothing, but I, I tend to approach these things. You have to think these things through before mm -hmm. you make that approach. So I would say to myself, right, what happens if that bit doesn't work? Right, okay, so they might refuse me entry or they might say, oh, have you got your bag to the hand or something along those lines. Uh -huh. And what I try and do is play out all of those scenarios cool. as much as possible beforehand so that I've worked them out and thought about them and thought about my responses. Yep. And so if that particular person had gone, I can't let you in, have you got your ID badge to hand or something along those lines, I'd already thought about it and I'd go... And I'd fumble. I'd fumble around and go, oh, I must have left it on my bike or, you know, in my rucksack or something along those lines. I'll go back and get it. Yep. And that gives you, you kind of an exit clause as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You carry on. I'll, I'll go and get my badge and then I can let myself in. But I thought about that beforehand to make sure that the delivery of that message, if you like, was not a surprise to me, but also to them. Uh, and so I could deliver the message, oh, no, I must have left it in my bike or whatever. I'll go and get it. I, I practiced that so that it was a fluid, natural... Organic. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It wasn't... That's so cool. <laughs> um, so that was that was my first one. That was my first I think, SE I job. think part of SE as well is luck to an extent, because I've only done a few SE engagements, and the most recent one I did was in February, I think. And we got in by essentially the the building had reception, uh, so you walk, walk through a set of double doors, reception on the right, so it wasn't actually facing you, it was looking onto it, so it was actually difficult to get past. So I walked in pretending to be on my phone, looking away from the security guard and tailgated straight through. And I, we only got caught, unfortunately, because my colleague got challenged on the stairs and I had recited everything in my head. I was like, I knew exactly what I was going to say. And I was like, right, cool. And he was like, oh, yeah, I work in HR. I'm on like floor three. And I'm like, don't fucking say no, it. Don't it's fucking specific. Say it. 
and she was like all right yeah cool that, that's fair and he was like he, he nailed it and i was like oh thank fuck huh? and um and then i was like yeah i work in it but then he continued to go oh yeah i met andy at, at uni i'm like don't no it's like no like why would you study uni and meet somebody in it they're two, two completely different sides and she was like not not seeing it because also the fact that i look about 12 and he is aged <laughs> aged yes i know who you're talking about he's going to give you some shit for calling him aged. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> to, to give context one of our previous guests mr mr neil lines he's not old but ah, yeah, yeah. doesn't yeah. look old at all <laughs> But if he's not as fresh-faced as me, it's probably the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he's going to kick your ass. He's going to fucking kill me tomorrow. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I'll Aged. tell you what, we'll bring him on for like, a short 15-minute podcast where I'll just let him eviscerate you and I'll just sit yeah. here laughing for the, <laughs> the phone. You can join us, Chris. <laughs> that would be fantastic. That, that job was a lot of fun because the, the recon- like I really enjoyed reconnaissance. I like finding out stuff and being like a creepy cunt because that's just what I enjoy doing. And like taking pictures of the building and watching footfall and stuff. And we sat for like seven hours outside the building across the road, just watching when people were coming in and out. And it was one of the, like, like he'd done a lot of SE and um, previous previous listeners will have heard Neil's episode. He, he talked about like different social engineering engagements, but that was really difficult because there wasn't a constant footfall. It was a, tw- what we didn't know before we'd done the job is it was a 24 hour office. So they didn't have a, a set lunch break. So there were people coming and going all the time and they were going in ones rather than twos and threes. So it was actually really difficult to tailgate. So that was, that was tough. I mean, how, how do you approach that kind of scenario, Chris? Like if you're, if you're you, faced with that. You have to be flexible. And this is why you're right. You have to be lucky but there's a certain element of making a bit of luck for yourself as well Um, in terms of being prepared and understanding that you need to be flexible and and it might be one. So the day that you've planned to to do reconnaissance, I'd be geared up. I'd be geared up to do the actual thing just in case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, just in case the reconnaissance shows you exactly that kind of thing it's ones and twos it's dribs and drabs you know there might be i don't know a call center or something that has a specific lunch break and i don't know say three people out of the call center go down to greg's for example and and you you just go right this is this is not going to work tomorrow might as well do it now um Mm. and yeah so that's why i try and always prepare as much as possible and um and think about these things as much as possible beforehand because then you can create a bit of your own luck rather than and i agree there is a massive amount of luck within se but you can tilt or tip that luck in your favor in some instances so that it 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 works out well for you i suppose Mm. throwing throwing the hat in the ring again because i asked the question about ics what what's been the most interesting se engagement that you've been involved with um, they tend to be the, the, the kind of superhero <coughs> stories. SE always seems to be the, the war <laughs> stories. Tend to be the case. Uh. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, okay. So there's, there's there's two. Okay. We'll, we'll hear um, we'll hear both of them if you, if you're happy to share. Yeah. So the the first one is is my bestest SE, if you like. The bestest um, is two seconds while I get my popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll mute the mic. <laughs> I'll make it quick for you. Um, so, task with doing SE 
and also um it was it was basically like a mini red team if you like to get in and also get on the network and try and get domain admin um and this was a uh, an office a multi floored office in london so there were different different businesses on different floors within this um multi story within within london so from pavement to 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 main admin was something ridiculous like 33 minutes 36 minutes or something yeah really crazy like that so that was that was brilliant because that's like a you set a benchmark now yeah you're like oh no benchmark to go (laughs) right can i beat 36 minutes uh um so yeah that was really cool um and i used a couple of techniques on that which um if you watch the defcon um se village talk that i did last year about uh, the long man technique, which is where you use like a rucksack to trick the um, swipe gate barriers into thinking that there's still someone going through them. Yeah, that I used that technique on that particular job because their their gates were awful; they were badly configured. Yeah. But what what you often get in in companies in London is that the building is managed by somebody like a third party, mm-hmm. and they have no concept of how to set their gates up. They just want it to go beep and and a, and a card to work. That's all they're interested in. They're not interested in can someone se in and get a you know a long man <laughs> technique through a rucksack. Yeah, that's a that's a doddle. Um, so yeah, their their gates were really really badly configured. Um, so I used the long man technique to get in there. And um, what was fantastic is that another customer came back to us probably a year two years later who worked in that same building on a different floor and um, uh, someone asked if they could shadow me and I went, yeah, you can shadow me. Let me show you this amazing long man technique that works on these barriers because I know for a fact that the third party uh, management company has not adjusted the, the sensitivity on those barriers whatsoever. And yeah, we, all, all, so the person who swiped me uh, and the person who was, who was learning from me Got in basically using the long man technique, which was awesome. So that yeah. was the first, the first one. That was cool. Uh, and then the other one was was the very first airport job, which, um, yeah, I mean, you just can't, you can't, you can't beat that in terms of how scary that actually is, and then how, um, um, uh, yeah, like amazing it is that you get in and. You just think, wow, this is phenomenal. It's a real. Well, I mean, airports, there's guns, right? So, I mean, that's immediately <laughs> probably quite different to your corporate <laughs> office. Like, yeah. Drinking and there was a lot of them. But... Yeah. There was a lot of them as well. Yeah. And, and I did a lot of reconnaissance there. Um, you know, similar to what Andy's saying, like a, a full day um, beforehand. And they were the same. So, so. You know, I was walking around different terminals and and all that kind of stuff, looking for entry points, looking for <clears throat> badges, what they look like, what people were dressing like, all that kind of cool stuff. But what was crazy was that police sniffer dogs or who were walking around and they were in groups of five, so there'd be one guy who had an Alsatian or or a um, a cocker spaniel or something along those lines that was a drug sniffer dog or an arm sniffer dog or something like that. And then that particular 
policemen would be backed up by four other policemen with MP5s. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's fun. <laughs> oh, and you're like, holy shit, yeah. what the fuck am I doing? They might be pointing at me soon. <laughs> yeah. But then they started recognising me in different terminals. Oh, no, oh, no. shit. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap. And I was pretending to like play games on my phone and stuff, sat down, and, and you could see every time they came across me, they were peering over my shoulder or round the corner to try and look at what I was doing on my phone. Oh, shit. And you're like, fuck. And then the guy with the dog is spending more and more time trying to encourage the dog to sniff you more and more and more. Yeah, so you can like, pick up your scent. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Just going dog baskets at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you, might as well, you might as well have covered me in pedigree chum because it was uh, <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> oh, that must be so nerve-wracking. Yeah. But, and this is where, and again, this is, this is in that DEFCON talk, your inner voice talks to you and says, Chris, you're going to get shot. Chris, you're going to die. Chris, multiple gunshot wounds. You're going to be in hospital. You're going to be dead. Chris, this is a really bad idea. You're going to have Chris. a sad time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then you have to counteract your inner voice with a, a sterner inner voice or, or however you want to approach it. Very meta. <laughs> yeah. Mindful, Chris, that would be probably yeah, well, a meditation, I'd imagine, must be a quite useful uh, kind of tool for these situations if you're just sitting there having to kind of regulate your your mood, I guess, like uh, adrenaline. Yeah, and, and I think that's the thing. Adrenaline really does take over. And yep. um, so a long, long time ago, I studied martial arts and I studied um, um, Wing Chun, and, and then sort of progressed into um, Jeet Kune Do, which is Bruce Lee's stuff. And you read Bruce Lee's books, and, and, and one of the things he talks about is that you should play out in your mind a fight. Because then your body gets used to reacting to the adrenaline, it gets reacting used to reacting to the surprise, uh, and you can do exactly the same for SE. You can play out those scenarios in your mind beforehand so that none of those situations are a surprise and so if you sit there and like you say you get nervous and and you think about what all the bad stuff that's going to happen if you play all that stuff out in your mind beforehand and think about how you should react and and the possible ways to react and what things you'd say again it really helps with like you say it's almost like a, a meditation because you've got pre-built stories or pre-built answers to questions or situations or scenarios in your head and then because you've already worked them out you don't react so badly as in nervously to make them think holy crap this guy's a this guy's an imposter or, or whatever yeah. yeah 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 exactly so you you come across as more normal more natural and yes you might have a degree of nervousness, but if you're being questioned by a policeman, then it's nine expected. times out of ten, yeah, they expect you to be nervous. But if you're mega, mega nervous, then yep. they're like, "Thumbs up here, hold on." Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was a book called so similar to yourself. I, I did like ninjutsu for like a year or so, uh, oh, yeah. and yeah, the yeah. guy Martin. Um, 
who was teaching us and leading the class uh, kind of put me onto a book called Zen. Uh, I think it's called Zen in the Martial Arts. Uh, it's just a little white book uh, with a kind of uh, red uh, belt across the front of it. Oh, yeah, uh, I've read that. It's a, it's a really good one because it's short, but uh, because you mentioned Bruce Lee there, um, I think it was the guy that trained Bruce, uh, not trained Bruce Lee, it was someone that trained either under the person that trained Bruce Lee, I think it was like Los Angeles in America, but uh, massive parts of that book uh, and very influential for me uh, when it comes to kind of mindfulness, especially with martial arts. And as you say, it could absolutely apply to social engineering by the sounds of it. It's just that that ability to um, just, just stay in the moment not worrying about what's going to be happening, you know, five minutes from now, but also being prepared as well. It's all stuff that gets reflected in that book and a big part of that kind of comes from meditation. So, yeah, I can only imagine that <laughs> that being a useful tool in that specific circumstance when you're maybe getting a bit worried. I suppose, uh, I suppose yeah, you, could, you could also argue, I mean, not argue even, you could even compliment it, the fact that martial arts in general, like I'm also a martial artist, I hold a, a first degree black belt in uh, karate, so I, I've competed and stuff, I've fought and all that sort of stuff, but the, the mindset behind that is the sparring mindset of, well you're actually thinking a couple of mo- moves ahead of your opponent, and I, th- I suppose you could probably apply that to social engineering, you're actually thinking a couple of scenarios ahead of what's going on, well, if you think of it from a, a fighting perspective, well someone's throwing a punch what to do with this punch, do I block it, do I then counter with it, and I suppose if you apply that to SE you're to going right, okay, I've been stopped by this person and they're going to ask me this, or they might ask me this and what do I answer to that and then how do I like how do I keep the conversation flowing without them suspecting that I'm a fraud or I'm not meant to be here yeah absolutely because and because you've played out those scenarios in your mind your reaction to them although the question might not be exactly what you've played out in your mind it's probably similar yeah and so you've already got a rough answer and so you're not fumbling around going, um, ooh, um, ooh, uh, ooh, um, ooh, 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 uh, um. You're like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just doing X, Y, and Z, so that's fine. And, just and that's it. See, they I shout out to the people that do this, like, daily, as in, like, you know, operatives, like, spies and stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they, all, all you criminals out there, Bond. you're doing a great job. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I can imagine there's some criminals doing it as well, but like, uh, yeah. yeah, imagine doing that just day in, day out. Like, that must be some of the scariest shit. Like, I guess you get used to it as well, and it's a, sk- a learned skill, like, not something I, to expect you, being good at straight away. Exactly, exactly that. And, and and you know this probably because, you know, we haven't touched upon this yet, but as a guitar player, mm-hmm. if you practice, you become a better guitar player. Yeah. You know, there are no guitar players in this world who are born with a talent to play guitar. Yeah. They practice the fuck. You get they what you put. A hell you of get what you, you put into it, basically. You get exactly. what you put in. Exactly. And it's exactly the same with, with, with SE or, or, you know, I don't know, being a spy or whatever. If you <laughs> practice that stuff, you're going to become good at it. The more practice you do it, the better you're going to become. Well, it's quite, so quite, quite a good segue into the, the topic that you two know fuck tons more about than I do, which is music. I mean, I listen to it, and my parents are musicians, but I don't play it. And Your parents are musicians? Yeah, I didn't know both, both my... It's a bit, bit of an upset fail. I won't, I won't name them, but you can find them quite quickly. Uh, both my parents are prof- professional classical musicians, and they have been there in t- well, since, since they were students, so they, they both play for... Uh, orchestras in uh, the UK so but I'm, I'm nice. not musical at all I just listen to music and I've been told I have perfect pitch but I don't fucking sing or any of that shit so fuck knows <laughs> <laughs> yeah nice. music's a big part of my life certainly um, I just 
give a, I guess, some back. So we, we, we kind of talked cars with some ca- guests before, so I'm now going to take this one over and we'll talk about music for a bit. I mean, uh, we, talk, we talked about photography in the last episode, so oh, ev- we did. Ev- everybody, we- everybody has their, it's not a vice, but it's sort of, sort of a, a hobby outside of security because it's important to escape from computers now and again. And I think it absolutely is. Definitely. And I think it's a good. I think it's a good topic maybe to have on every episode because yeah, it's a, yeah. If you want to get to learn someone, it's not just about the job they do. You know, like, uh, the job they do might even be reflected by you know what they do outside of it. So yeah, for for me for music, like uh, I think since I was maybe thirteen, yeah, I learned playing drums uh, naturally. Along with that. You kind of learn about guitar along the way as well if you're playing in bands and stuff. And yeah, I've basically kept that going now for yeah near enough 15 years and see it as an escapism from... Because it, it's so intense learning this stuff. We touched upon it earlier. There's just so much to learn and it's very easy to start feeling like, you know, uh, I need to spend all my time doing this else. I'm not going to get where I want to maybe as quickly, uh, yeah. which probably isn't the healthiest thing to do. And I recognize that. Um, so I, my escapism is just to pick up a guitar five minutes maybe a day 10 minutes five hour sessions as i did just at the weekend there learning <laughs> blues pentatonic scales because i'm not a big lead guitarist uh and uh, but the thing is like i mean having that outlet something just that isn't on a computer or on a screen and just being able to, to kind of take that step away no matter what problem i've been struggling with that day i always come back to it and a better mindset uh what's your musical background chris what before i switch to the musical background real quick point so your mind has um two learning stroke problem solving modes your your attentive mode mm-hmm. which is when you are head deep in learning that thing and when you come across a problem um what is a really really good idea if you can't solve that problem quickly <clears throat> is to step away from it and go and play the guitar for i don't know 10 15 20 minutes hour whatever you want to do because what happens is your diffuse brain, which is your sort of subconscious, carries on problem solving. You don't realize it, um, but your diffuse brain, and this is this is psychology type stuff here, um, carries on problem solving for you while you are doing the thing that you are in the moment of, whether that's the big guitar playing or playing the drums or reading or or whatever that is but your diffuse brain carries on with the problem solving and so it's actually a really really good idea to step away from something that you are struggling with because your brain carries on problem solving it for you and you can go and do something else and relax and then what often happens and you'll probably come across this when you play the guitar is you come back to it after i don't know half an hour an hour even a week whatever and you've solved the problem and all of a sudden something clicks and you've solved it and that's your diffuse brain or, or your subconscious solving those problems so that's really interesting because um, i like um I, i've definitely found so yeah just go back to kind of guitar so lead guitar so i've always played kind of played rhythm i've never been great at lead and i've always convinced myself that i'm not able to learn scales because there's just so much to remember and i don't have a great underlying music theory knowledge um but yeah four hours of doing of just sitting down relentless learning I had, at the end of that, other than sore fingers, uh, I was getting a little <laughs> yeah. bit frustrated because I was just like hitting wrong bum notes and stuff. But see the next day coming back to that, like I, I, the marked improvement there was unreal. Like, um, yeah. And I, I wonder if that's the same thing. Like, it is, <laughs> it's just it's exactly the same thing. It, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it doesn't just work for computer type problems that we solve, but it works for everything that we're yeah. trying to learn. So if you're, you're struggling with something, Stop it. Take a break. 
come back to it either an hour, the next day, the next week, whenever that happens to be, and, and there's a really good chance that probably guarantee it that your brain will have solved that problem for you in your yeah. in your subconscious that's it it's very cool yeah 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 so hack um, the brain. yeah it is a brain hack it's a subconscious brain hack and it's it's pretty cool um so music wise so i learned guitar really late um bearing in mind that i'm in my mid 40s i learned guitar in my mid 30s for the first time cool um and it was one of those things that I'd always wanted to do, but never really had the time to do. And then um, circumstances change and I had the time. So I uh, went to a guitar teacher and went, I have no idea how to play guitar, but I really want to learn. And they were like, okay, this is going to be a fun challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Maturation. Yeah. Uh, um, mature. Old art. <laughs> I don't, yeah. don't know if this is mature or not. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, don't be ageist again. Uh and so, yeah, that was it. And, and I always wanted to learn the acoustic because I'd always had this dream of... Because um, at the time, I, this is when I worked for Southwest Water, I, li- I lived by the sea, lived by the beach, and I always had this dream of you know going down to beach barbecues and beach parties in the evening and being that kind of guy who sings and plays songs on the acoustic guitar and keeps everybody entertained for yeah, a couple for of sure. hours. That, 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 that was my dream. That, funny um, you should say that um, because I had uh, one uh, sorry just to jump straight in there but um, uh, I had one great lesson that I learned from uh, a teacher when I was at high school because uh, I wasn't academically inclined at that stage I ended up being later in life when I went to uni and college and I was studying something I wanted to do but for the most part I think teachers probably saw me as a bit of a write-off um, so which is fine um, but in the art class um, there, were, there was an old guitar just for still life drawing uh, that I ended up kind of restringing and kind of doing up a wee bit like ended up sounding really good and stuff so I would just sit in the computer room fucking about on the Macs uh, and just strumming away on that guitar um, just on my own in that room and uh, the teacher would come through and he's like look I know you're not academic you don't give a shit about academics but see if you keep playing that guitar at a certain point like you'll be a guy in a room like you know like and you'll be just sitting there strumming away and entertaining people and that'll be a social skill that'll keep you right uh, in many social situations and you'll, you'll be a cool guy because of it and that's always stuck with me like kind of 15 years later uh, for that yeah. exact reason but um, so yeah so that that's really cool uh, so kind of mid-30s learning guitar what kind of music are you into? Um, I have quite a wide range of music tastes mm-hmm. um, my I guess core music tastes are is, is acoustic singer songwriter stuff mm-hmm. uh, and and blues music. Nice. Um, so I'm I'm quite quite massively into blues music and you know old school blues players like BB King, Buddy Guy, yeah. um, all those kind of old school guys. So I had the opportunity two years ago to go and see Buddy Guy play in the UK um, and. Yeah, paid a little bit extra for a, good, a really good ticket right at the front on an aisle um, because I'd seen YouTube videos where he does a little walk around. Oh, cool. And yeah, he came and stood next oh, to me oh. at the end of an aisle and, and, and the wife. And the wife was wearing a, um, a polka So he's massively, he's got this thing about polka dot. Uh, he's got a polka dot guitar, polka dot shirt, yep. all this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, the wife was wearing a polka dot blouse in in 
respect of, of Buddy Guy. Uh, and I think I got something that on as well. And he came and stood next to us and, and while he was doing his walk around and played his guitar and gave us a nod to the old polka dot stuff oh, as that's well. Awesome. So, yeah. And, and yeah, I got a bit emotional, I have to have to admit there. I got a little bit emotional about that. But yeah, that was cool. Yeah, no wonder. Um, I got handed a glass of wine from uh, the singer of Idlewild, uh, Roddy Wimble, when oh, I was like yeah, 17, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, just off the stage. So obviously, I probably shouldn't have done that. But uh, see, <laughs> see, when you're that age, like, and that guy was like, seriously, my hero in music, like, loved his voice, loved Idlewild's music. Uh, so yeah, yes, one of those member- memories that make Final Cut, uh, when you appreciate yeah. a musician that much, and you just have that wee slight moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? And yeah, that, is, that is just the power of music. It's like really emotional and, and taps into our senses. And, you know, we've got music for hacking to, we've got music decoding to, we've got music for chilling out, we've got music for making excited. And that is phenomenal, yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And uh, the amazing, the, the, the difference that for me personally, obviously this would, uh, mileage will vary with different people, but like, uh, a bit of like just liquid drum and bass or something, and this seems to be quite common. Yeah. I know Andy's very similar, but see when you're, I'm, I imagine for a lot of people, exercise in the gym, that's probably good, but see when I'm sitting there and I'm doing maybe a hack the box or something like that, and just really just trying to get in the zone and kind of keep a pace. Like, uh, so it's amazing what that music can do for doing like precisely that. Uh, just, just electronic music in general, when you're sitting hacking or sitting away problem solving, uh, listen, even like I found recently listening to like jazz on really, really, really low volume, like almost like background music background, really yeah. helps. And I mean, my, my, I'd say my music taste is quite e- eclectic in the sense that I listen to just about everything. And I've also tried to start using bigger words because um, I've started, because I'm mentoring, <laughs> one of my mentees is an English graduate, she's been teaching me big words, so eclectic is, is what she's described my <laughs> music taste one. as. Big words. Fuck knows oh, what it yeah. means, but it sounds cool, so like, <laughs> yeah. Just keep chucking it into every sentence, yeah. that'd be fine. Well, that's, that's how I learned what exponential meant. When I first time what, learned what exponential, I was like, this is exponential, it's tremendous. And I was like, Andy, what the fuck are you talking about? It's exponential. We're like... Yeah, it's exponential. And I'm like, do you know what it means? I'm like, no, of course not. No, no, I do know what it means. It's great, increasing greatly, but yeah. But um, yeah, liquid drum and bass is really good. Um, jazz is good. Kind of thing, things like, um, what's it called? Trip hop. So like, Oh, trip hop's the best, like, man. Like Portishead, stuff like that. Like, yeah. And a few kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, What is it? It's not Topiary Ring. That's, a, that's something else. To- uh, Purity Ring. Purity Ring. They're really good. Yeah, really they're one of my favourites, man. Like, uh, and if piano concertos as well is yeah. one that I really like. See, you were saying about. Uh, it's funny you should say that. I've never really thought about it, but it's always quite quiet in the background compared to other genres. But see, when I'm doing, again, just a bit of like coding or like uh, hacking, like just a soft piano concerto in the background, just. And there's something about it that just chills you out and makes you do your best work, or at least for me. That's one of the things yeah. I, I grew up with. So both my parents are classical musicians, so when I was having breakfast every morning, my parents would have the radio on. The radio would usually have classical piano piano concertos classic on. Classic FM. Or, or, yeah, well, it wasn't classic FM. I think it was like Radio 3 or something, but it was mm-hmm. mostly um, Muse, 
like really classical music, um, piano concertos, uh, symphonies, all all that sort of fun stuff. And because because I was an only child for a long time, I had I, I had well, I was forced to go along to concerts because childcare is expensive and all that stuff. But I actually learned a lot from going to concerts and realised that I quite enjoy just sitting listening to classical music because it's quite peaceful. And people are like, oh well, everyone's got a taste in music and that's understandable. But classical, there's something about classical because there's no lyrics mm-hmm. and it's just the like that you've got 24 or, or 48 musicians in, in one place bringing one sound together it's, it's oh, amazing it's incredible man I, I was at the in necropolis yep uh, at, uh glasgow in glasgow so if you've ever been to glasgow or if you haven't been I'd, I'd go have a little google it's a really interesting place it's, it's almost, it's almost like this, there, this, like. this podcast is from glasgow dave like what, what? it's almost like it's in the name <laughs> but, <laughs> so um, my sister played uh as part of a an orchestra with a, a full is that an opera um uh, Mozart's Requiem and it was in this giant old church like, and it's just see seeing like, a group of like 40 singers and then like, a group of like 40 other musicians like, and they're all just kind of perfectly synergised just doing this one thing and you just can't, you can't separate the sounds almost um, yeah there's there's literally nothing like it, it, it's, it music is, is phenomenal and I, I I I don't know about you but I play different types of music depending on what I'm trying to achieve so mm-hmm. if I'm writing a report I don't want words and so I tend to listen to classical 100% <laughs> type stuff if I'm coding or if I'm hacking then I'll listen to like you say something that's upbeat fast um, probably not a lot of words complexy stuff nothing too complex very basic like repetitive lyrics yeah um and yeah, you know, if I want to like feel emotionally attached, then I'll I've got some you know acousticy type stuff that I mm-hmm. listen to, and that reconnects me with the world again. And yeah, that's yeah, an interesting way of putting it. Like, yeah, reconnect you because I suppose like emotions aren't particularly useful or used or maybe thought about when you're necessarily doing coding i guess yeah. right so yeah. yeah sometimes something that just kind of connects you back to the the, the human part of your brain uh, i suppose you, you, you switch maybe. that part of your mind off to an extent like um pe- people are sometimes described as monotonous check me using bigger words as well but when you're uh, em- oh, emotionally monotonous when you're coding because you're not if someone calls you or something when you're coding you're in that zone you pick up the phone you're not oh, yeah. quite in the zone of that call and you're like oh hello whatever um, blah, blah, blah. I've, but I've got, i'm trying to solve that problem i suppose it goes back to what you were saying chris about your subconscious continues to solve that problem even when you go away from it. I think it's probably yeah. the same when you're distant from a conversation because you've been so focused on solving X problem, or in my case, getting tabs versus spaces in Python because Python's a bunch of fucking <laughs> chaos. <laughs> um, yeah. Shouting at screens and then t- going, going away for a second and you're, you're not quite in the zone. Having something to bring you back, so listening to like lyrical music or, or something else um, helps with that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, for sure. It's, it's good. Music's awesome. I'm glad it's there. Like, I've got a bunch of side hobbies, don't get me wrong, that kind of keep me away from InfoSec. And many of those hobbies, like electronics um, and stuff like that, I can somehow tie it in. But music's certainly one of those things that will always kind of remain separate no matter what. And uh, I do uh, do like that. Until I start trying to hack my digital audio workstation software and stuff. Like that, you know, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd strongly recommend anybody does this industry or getting into this industry i'd strongly recommend getting a hobby like music that is not 
in any way related to 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 the stuff that we do on a day-to-day yeah. basis because you just need that break you need a break away from the screen you need a break away from the mental side of it and you need something that is just completely different yeah. and, and I, I, I'm sure you feel the same when you've had a tough day and you play the guitar for 10-15 minutes it just goes all it that. can flip on its head like absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. and then yeah. as I say as I mentioned earlier like whatever it was uh, kind of giving you a shit day uh, and you go back to it like you're you're approaching it sometimes almost like a different person like which is yeah. again just the power of music but yeah. uh, it's pretty cool um, I was thinking probably around about now is probably a good time to move on to a couple of questions that we have okay. for you Chris yeah, there's, um, yeah. there's a few things I want to cover off though in, in, in the standard oh, podcast script before we jump onto the actual questions if that you have Scripts. Well, you have a standard. I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say a script. Chris has probably seen a little bit, a little bit too <laughs> organised. But um, <laughs> that's not us. <laughs> that's not not us. Go on, him. we're far away. Um, what, what's kind of like what's changed the most since you started in the industry versus right now? Because obviously you've come through different, well, different areas of security. Obviously, you've gone from auditing to what kind of blue teamy stuff, and then diving into purple team or uh, not purple mm. team, um, pen testing. Hmm. What what's changed what's the most? Changed. Um, do you know what? Probably not a lot. In terms of the core stuff, is pretty much the same, and the logic behind all of that core stuff is pretty much the same. What's changed is probably the technology that that is presented to us on a day to day basis. So. You know, when I first started doing um, sort of blue team type stuff, it was command prompt. Yeah. Um, there was no PowerShell or, or, or really anything along those lines. And so it was command prompt. And so that was a technology that was available at the time. But the logic behind me trying to solve a problem in command prompt was probably roughly the same logic that you're trying to use or we're trying to use in PowerShell. Or, or Linux or, or whatever it is that we're trying to do. So the, the the technology has moved on and in theory got better, but the the logic has probably roughly stayed the same. You, you, we're all, whether we're red team, blue team, pen testers, SOC analysts, whatever, the, the logic is probably all still roughly the same, but the technology is changed a bit but the logic on how to problem solve is roughly the core of that is all roughly the same that's good good answer yeah <laughs> i don't really have any comments on that it, it's true it hasn't really changed much i suppose it, it every every facet i'm getting good at these big words every, every facet, that's like five oof. characters camden but. i know but i know but it's like it's like augmented and all these, these amazing words anyway <laughs> I'm, gonna add, I'm gonna just read the thesaurus and that'll be great uh, <laughs> No, every can <laughs> read the what now? <laughs> <laughs> the sorry, I was getting sound bited. It's like I start editing this. <laughs> no, the, every facet of security, <laughs> be it blue team, defensive, or building things, because you've got build, break, defend, is that you have the mindset of problem solving. I was having this conversation last night with um, some people who work in IT support, and they were like, 
yeah, we, we like this because it's problem solving. I'm like, but you'd love pen testing. They're like, mm, nah, I, I just like solving people's problems and helping them. And I suppose at the end of the day, pen testing sort of does that. But at the same time, Blue Team does that. But the, the collective um, goal is to, to make the world a more secure place and, and make shit Absolutely. less fucked. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what's beautiful about pen testing is that actually we are actually trying to help people. You know, that's, that's one of the things I like about it. I'm not... I'm not I'm just here to come fuck shit up and break it all the time. I'm actually here to help people. I sometimes feel that seems to get, uh, as an outsider, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm an experienced or, I mean, I have at this stage talked to a lot of people you've, about you've it, got, I guess. You've got life like, experience, Dave. I mean, you're older, no, older than me. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm human, uh, exactly. which is good, apparently. Um, but, yeah, like... Uh, Oh, you've kind of caught me off point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You just continue. <laughs> I clearly forgot. No, that. go go for it, Dave. Like, you, you've got, no, you've, got experience, <laughs> you've got experience in problem solving because you, you obviously yeah. you, you moved into. Oh, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. You got it. Uh, it was. Uh, it's got it. It's back uh, on track. It is. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> no. No. So I feel that as a point that gets forgotten a lot, uh, or it certainly isn't projected a lot by a lot of people in security seems to be the underlying I want to help make this secure I've got a desire to help and that's part of what I'm doing uh, a lot of it seems that it can be quite aggressive at least on Twitter when you can read some of it and there's <sighs> a lot of shit slinging and blame throwing yeah. and stuff like that Like, but there's sometimes not as much positivity about what people do in this industry than maybe there should be Like, uh, but that's just an observation that I've kind of found that's because Twitter is a dumpster fire. It's an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> I mean, is it different in person, like kind of Twitter, within organisations and stuff? Twitter's full of toxicity. Just, to, just to take that, like, just in general. straight in general, it is yeah. full. I mean, it's not representative of real life. If you, that, that I've got so many colleagues. Oh, Chris and I have both got so many colleagues that are not on Twitter and are amazing technical yeah. specialists, and they, they don't need yeah. to be in that sphere. I mean, I'm a gobshite at the best of times, but I still get the job done. And people that are not gobshites still get the job done. So you don't need to be a gobshite to get the job done. It's probably the TLDR there. (laughs) And you don't need to be on Twitter to be good at your job. 100%. Yeah, that definitely gets forgotten a lot. Yeah. Sometimes beneficial, probably not to be. Yeah. Maybe not for myself, I will say. Because, see, without me, uh, to some degree, defense of Twitter, uh, (laughs) which isn't normally what I'll do, but... I wouldn't have really known about yourself, Chris, I guess. Um, yeah, and the kind of yeah. work that you do. Um, and there's a whole host of people like that as well. So for people starting out, maybe were- you won't necessarily want to get engaged with Twitter. But if you can manage to get a good couple of followers of interesting people that do really good work, that are passionate about what they're doing, it's, that's always just going to be a help rather than a hindrance for me. Like It's definitely a tool, if you like anything, if you choose to use it. Yeah. yeah, as such. Look. Yeah, yeah. If you use it right, it's great. If you abuse it, it's bad. Yeah. Samples. Yeah. De- definitely right. Um, we've got so we've, you've got two choices. Back to your script. Well, Back to I, would, your, I wouldn't your say script it's in any way, shape, or form. But <laughs> you, you've got two choices. You can have the questions from okay. Twitter first, or you have you can have the questions from the previous casts first. What would you like to go with? Uh, previous cast first. Okay, doke. Right. Um. What was the worst? What was the best and worst thing that you learned last year? And this can be in the job, or this can be in life. The best and worst thing I learned last year. Ooh, that's a tough <laughs> one. 
Well, it's a tough one because you assume I can remember last year. Um, <laughs> Should we go pre-Vegas or post-Vegas? Is probably that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, okay, let's let's use Vegas as a good one then. So I learned that I can stand up in front of just a fraction under a thousand people and talk about SE at the SE Village and and be received well, which was cool because you know yeah, your imposter awesome. syndrome says you can't do that and you're new in the game and that you haven't got anything to teach anybody in actual fact you have got stuff to teach people because there are people who are interested and want to learn and listen um the worst thing i learned last year um oh, that is a difficult one it is a difficult one Mainly, I, and that's difficult. Not, not because it's, it's a, it's a crazy question. It's difficult because I don't tend to think that way. I think, yeah, I think positively, and so most negative things I try and turn into a positive. So, I mean, you you can say there isn't a, there isn't a worse thing that you've learned because you're 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 leaning on positivity. I mean, John John completely fucking dodged this question. He went. I learned some things that they were great. I was like, all right, cool, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's come back to it. Okay. I'll have a think about it. Let's let the diffuse brain solve that one for me <laughs> while we talk about other stuff. Okay, so there's an easier question in here. Um, what's your password? Okay. Um, it is... Social engineering is great, one, two, three, with a capital S and then a capital E, obviously. Oh, tre know. Tremendous. I'd have guessed long, that it's long and, <laughs> and it's you know it's got multiple character sets in it and, and numbers and perfect right. but on the topic of passwords pick a phrase or your passphrase kind of guy I'm a passphrase actually I'm not I'm a passphrase <laughs> I'm, I'm a I'm a phrase but then I take the letters the first letters from that phrase so lyrics are, are always good um, um, the hills are alive, are alive with the sound of music yeah there you go so if you took that and took one letter the first letter from each of those words and made that your password you've now got a really complex password but something that's really easy to remember but it's now, yeah, on, a, it's now on a word list now that I've said it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah yeah no, but that's it. I mean, I must admit, see, before coming into security and thinking about passwords and stuff, it was confusing without really understanding how passwords work and, and the technical reasons for why you, how you would make a secure one. Like, and obviously now I understand that a lot of it down to if it's computationally almost impossible to answer yeah. uh, work out seems to be the, the overriding factor. Obviously being able to guess stuff is... I guess beforehand, I assumed that that would be the, the kind of usual, as like people would have to do a lot of research into somebody, start guessing their passwords, which is obviously now a pretty crazy idea. It's just an unfeasible, I'd imagine, for the most part, unless it's maybe a top 10, top 100 password. But, Actually, but, so th yeah. that's an interesting topic. It's something that came up in conversation today that I was having with one of my other colleagues um, around operational security and um, assessing people based on that. It's actually easier now because people have uh, as mental as it sounds i'm not going to guess your password because i don't know you well enough but like it's easier now to profile people based on what they do online to try and guess what they 
the base pass was off off of because yeah. mm. a lot of yeah. from from all the internal um, infrastructure engagements I've done and I've cracked so many different ntds.dit files which is what holds all the password hashes for a domain you can start to understand how people create passwords and more often than not they will do it based on a couple of things either things that are in their life personally um, which are the normal things like your your pet's name or your 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 um, parents or your, your football team or yeah football team um some people pick things that are on their desk. So if you're in an office and you're in a quite obscure office that has maybe odd things on the desk, you start to chuck them in a word list and you slam together and make a word list out of that. And yeah. there there was actually a, a, an engagement that was on. I think it was it, it was either last year or two years ago, and it was for, for an oil and gas company. And they had really obscure desks. They were really ergonomic. They were good fun, but they had peculiar things on the desk. So we took all those words, chucked them in a word list, and we cracked 60% of the password from just having those words in a word list. Yeah. And they were yeah. bespoke to that industry. There we go. Big words again. Um, mm. They were bespoke to that Ooh. industry because they, like you, seven you wouldn't have... All right, fucking the complicated words then, right? It's, <laughs> it's not cunt, it's not fuck. It, they're, they're complicated, okay? Yeah, let's 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 encourage him to use these big words because while he's using these big words, he's not swearing. Yeah, that's so. true. Try and try and <laughs> really can't hard. do both at the same time. We found his kryptonite. Shit. Okay, I've just noticed <laughs> every profanity has <laughs> is is a four letter word, apart from bastard. Mm. But every profanity yeah. is a four letter word apart from bitch. Fuck. Oh. Anyway, wanker. Wanker. Uh, yeah. Fuck that twat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, but, yeah, ob- obscure, obscure <laughs> words that they're not in a typical word list. Because a word list might be the countries of the world or or the vis- villages you're currently around. So, like, um, a key one for a lot of councils is um, if you're in a, a a council in kind of an obscure area, the the town name might be one of the passwords or whatever. So you use that. Um, yeah. So profile pe- people even the company names. Even company, like the number of times I've been in and done exactly the same, and then shoved the company name in in your in your word list, yeah, and got you know another ten twenty percent of passwords, yeah, is is phenomenal. Mm. But very, what we're really about... terrible at as an industry is describing that to to Joe user. Yeah, we are really bad as an industry at saying this is how easy it is to crack your password because we're going to make some assumptions. And then we've got these amazing tools that will do the rest of it for us. We are terrible as an industry at telling end Joe user that and why they should then make their password more complex. Oh, def- definitely. Oh. And even even the admittance of using uh, passphrases is still not that great because people can have passphrases, but then um, like a common one as well is obviously welcome one is quite a common password but people will take welcome to whatever company you are so welcome to yeah. Cast, for example might be a password yeah. and that, that use it like that might be the default password or you find in documentation a lot of other stuff i don't know how we got into this conversation but it was about profiling people essentially and it, it's it's a lot easier to profile people online and, and guess their password based on on that mm. so yeah yeah, that's one of the questions. No, that's interesting. I think that's the longest we've ever discussed uh, that one particular question. <laughs> but, <laughs> which is good. Uh, passphrases for the win in my book. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, what has been your most humiliating moment in your career? And did it arouse you? That that was John's question. <laughs> what? I don't remember that part. <laughs> I think Andy's adding that no, one. It's, yeah, it's, 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 honestly, it's listen to the last... Well, actually, to be uh, fair, that podcast sure, was two hours it. long, but it's it's in there somewhere. <laughs> he did he did ask it, <laughs> John. John, um, if you're listening, you fucking asked it, right? <laughs> he's going to say yes now, isn't he? Because he's going to have to. <laughs> so, 
Give me the question again. Because I think I was stumped by Andy's admission. <laughs> uh, what has been your most humiliating moment in your career? Most humiliating moment in my career? Um, learning that the demo gods are not always on your side, no mm-hmm. matter how many times you've practiced something. <laughs> Did you not sacrifice... Uh... Yeah, goats, lambs, to, uh, the works. Yeah, tried them all. Yeah. Barbie dolls with pins in yeah. everything. None, none of it works. Yeah. Is that a particular yeah. example? Uh, yeah, a particular yeah. Time? yeah. So, that, like, I've go out, and you'll notice I go out and I do talks to industry about hacking industrial control systems, where you know we're talking to the level of people who might manage some industrial control systems, but don't know anything about the security of them. Um, so take a whole raft of gear, PLCs, industrial control switch, um, system switches and all that sort of stuff to and set them up and we've got a little mini network and set them all up and, and we prove how easy it is to hack all that sort of stuff. And the number of times that you, you know, you've set it all up and you've got all the notes written down, you've got all the IP addresses written down and a number of times you go to a talk and either one of the boxes doesn't, come up or suddenly it's decided it's going to have a different IP address from the one that you've statically assigned to it or <laughs> the exploit that you know has worked 50 times previously suddenly decides not to work today uh, yeah and I think you get to the point where and a bit like you know performing live in a, in a, in a band or in a, with a guitar or whatever you have to learn to um, gloss over the mistakes and just go, ah, that bit's not working today, so let me move on swiftly and I'll show you yeah. that and maybe we'll come back to this thing if there's time at the end or something like that. Oh, yeah, I mean, plenty of times I've been playing gigs and I've tossed a drum set or tossed a spare drum <laughs> drumstick yeah. across the room like, and you just have to figure out a fucking way to do it. So yeah. sometimes that results in you just playing with your hand. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. And... Yeah, sometimes you just got to deal with it like, and find a way. So, yeah, I guess it's about being able to improvise. Well, it's like hacking and adapting sort of thing. It's the same yeah, sort of exactly mindset. That. Yeah. I, I always remember... Um, uh, so, so my wife sings and, and I play the guitar. So one of the songs that we we do is an Alison Moye song. Um, and I remember probably only about five, six years ago, her doing this live on, on, I don't know, it was either on Six Music or on Radio 2, and she screwed up. This is like one of her most famous songs. She must have played and sang this song thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of times mm. live to audiences. And she went to sing it on the radio and she got into the second bar and it was all wrong, completely all wrong. And she went, let's stop and start again, shall we? And they did. They stopped and started again. And it was perfect. It was fine. Absolutely fine. And you, that is a massive learning point to go, holy crap, if someone who was experienced at live performances can make those kind of mistakes still on a song that they have probably played, I don't know, thousands. Let's say they've played it 5,000 times. If they can still make a mistake recounting that song and replaying it again then I'm alright well, it takes I'm an awful out. presence of mind to even do that in the first place I've been at a, been to quite a few live gigs and I've seen a couple of uh, even just things on like YouTube and stuff uh, especially when it comes to tempo uh, where a band will they will start the live performance obviously probably not playing to a click track 
and then yeah. they would just stop after five uh, maybe five ten seconds a couple of bars and they just go nope too slow that's and then they would just yep. uh, the, snap back in and do it faster uh, yeah. and that's experience that is uh, the, fir- the first, of our, first of our gig I went to or first of our um, non-classical gig I went to was the Red Hot Chili Peppers and they, they played at Hamden and they, they did that they they had their intro and they were they were playing into uh, Can't Stop great tune great great guitar opening but um, Flea fucked up the first bar and was like nap nap trying, trying again and they kept going and um, he was like no 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 I'm stopping we're trying again and they stopped and they kept going and then um, they, eventually they paused and went right we're going to start this again and that is experience just in front of a couple of thousand people going right lads we <laughs> fucked up we're going to fucking start again and it's yeah. just it's amazing to see yeah and it yeah yeah absolutely it happens with speakers as well um, like you spoke earlier on about doing security talks and, and uh, conferences and things and I've, I've done it before as well I've started talking about something um, and gone off on a tangent and gone, actually, what the fuck was I talking about? And I'll reset and I go, actually, this is the slide. This is what I'm actually talking about. And I'd imagine it happens to a lot of people who have delivered talks in the past. And it's also something to keep in mind for those who are starting out in the industry. It's okay to fuck up. Like, you, you, everyone, it absolutely. happens to absolutely everyone. Um, pe- yeah. People yeah. who have been doing talks for years um, versus those that may have done their first or second talk. Everyone, everyone slips up. Um, and I suppose it's the experience that allows you to correct your trajectory as to where you're going. Yep. Yep, that's good advice. 100%. Have we got any Twitter questions? We so do. We, we've, we've, got, we've got a few questions in here, actually. Um, I suppose I suppose the, the, the one... Well, we've got, got three in here. So the, the one in here is the most recent, which is from Joe, our colleague, Miss, Miss Dalton. Oh, yep. Um, yeah. If you want to do cyber unicorn, yeah, cyber unicorn. If you want to do physical social engineering, how can you get real life experience without breaking the law? <laughs> oh, good question. Um, that's a really tough one. It, it's difficult to do. So my suggestion is a lot of social engineering is around interacting with people. Most of the time, that that's predominantly where you're going to get tripped up so my suggestion would be to watch more and and as human beings we're really terrible at being observant at at things that are happening around us and and Andy you'll have seen this in a couple of talks that I've done within PTP and and I think I even did it at Steelcon you know you ask somebody what colour t-shirt the person next to them sitting with that they might have been with all day and they don't know because we're just really bad at being observant. So first of all, practice your observancy skills. And for me, this is, um, and I don't do this because I want to know where they are. I do this because I want to be observant. Mm-hmm. Um, I walk into places and I look at CCTV cameras and say, where are they? Where are the CCTV cameras in this building? Not because CCTV cameras are a barrier for me to be SE because nine times out of ten no one's watching the damn things but I do it because I want to be observant and and the same with people so if I go and sit in a bar and I'm, I'd apologise to anybody I sit with in a bar but I'm really bad at doing this I will look around so I'll be engaged in the conversation that I'm having with the person in front of me but I'm really bad at looking around because I want to see what's going on and I want to same. observe yeah, people sure. and look around and see stuff um, and then, so that really helps you understand interactions and how people interact and also helps you understand 
or make a guess about body language or how they're feeling and stuff like that. But then the next thing to do is interact more with people. Um, and I, I had this couple of weeks back where, you know, we're in this depressing lockdown COVID-19 situation and I was in the supermarket. It was my turn to go to the supermarket. And I don't know about you guys or what it's like around your way, but the supermarket at the moment is a depressing place mm. to be in. Oh, very much so. It's horrible. It's, it's a really life-draining place to go in. Everyone's unhappy. No one is happy. No one is talking. No one is interacting with anybody. And so the, the checkout person that I went to was down they were really didn't want to talk they were just like hello they got a barrier in between us or me and them to to protect them obviously from air particles and so that created a barrier to us having a conversation which meant that, that particular person had probably not had a lot of conversations all day because this physical barrier was in yeah. place and so i just made a lot of effort to try and talk to them and now for most of us, as computer nerdy type people and, you know, I'm slightly introverted myself, that's quite difficult to talk mm -hmm. to people. Um, but if you make an effort to do it, and this is exactly the same as everything else in life, the more you practice at it, the more you practice playing guitar, the better you become. The more you practice talking to people, the better you get at it. And so talk to people and try and challenge yourself when you get a little bit more comfortable about it at getting specific bits of information out of them whether that be what's your favorite color uh um what's your hobbies you know all that really non-intrusive type stuff but things that you wouldn't normally talk about but if you can practice that you get better at having conversations you get better at asking people questions that might reveal information that's useful for you when you do an SE type job. Um, but you're also not thrown by random answers because somebody's hobby might be curling or something really obscure, you know, fringe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's my suggestion. Be observant, practice being observant, practice having conversations and and when you get to a level where you are comfortable having a hello how are you the next step from that type conversation with someone random whether they be you know in a bar or whether they be a checkout in a supermarket or sat next to them in a cafe or or anything along those lines challenge yourself to get a little piece of information out of that person that that they wouldn't normally reveal. I'm not suggesting sensitive information. I'm just suggesting something that wouldn't normally come up in a topic of conversation. But work out how you can weave that in or you can you can ask those kind of questions without being strange or weird. Or well, an, an interesting one is, so one, one of the girls I mentor, um, she she makes a, makes a point of, of dropping this into conversation. So if, if she first meets you, she'll ask you how you're doing. And then out of nowhere, she'll be like, what's your favourite dinosaur? And you're like, hold on a second. What the fuck? Yeah. And it makes you think and you go, actually, fuck, dunno. And it, it straight away defines what kind of person they are. Have they seen Jurassic Park? Are they a fan of dinosaurs? Are they are they a cool person? Are they are they religious? Have they got whatever? Do they believe in dinosaurs? And it kind of it How do they react exactly. to yeah. strange yeah, stimulus? Yeah. Yeah. So I've yeah. done an interesting one uh, I don't know if you remember this Andy uh, when we were at Steelcon, but I set myself a challenge because I was so determined to, to try walking away from that job. 
Yeah. I remember uh, this. Uh, that was a good thing to was do. Was it 20, <clears throat> 22 people? 28 people. Obviously, I can only... It was, it was something and like that. And I was shit-faced. You were like, oh, these are all these people. Um, I'm like, that's great, Dave. I'm, I'm <laughs> so pissed right now. <laughs> you were so shit-faced. <laughs> and now you weren't like, well, no, we were all shit-faced. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's such as the way of uh, cons. Um, but yeah, it was... I mean, I couldn't prove it to anybody else. I didn't have to. I said to myself, I'm going to do that because I think that's going to be a useful skill for myself moving forward. And yeah, it was like above 20. And see, when I got beyond 50, I couldn't believe kind of what I was doing. A big part of it was remembering faces and um, paying more attention to initial movement and uh, yeah. an initial conversation. And like you say, being very present, being very aware and actually genuinely, and I was uh, genuinely interested to meet a lot of those people. Like, um, so yeah, that that was fun. I think that's going to be a useful thing if I can keep that up. Um, certainly Absolutely. imagine on a social engineering engagement, if you maybe, I don't know, in situations you might end up talking to a few people and you remember some names and then you get intercepted. I'll be like, oh, I was just talking to John and Jim. Like, um, yeah, I'd imagine that could be very useful. Would that be right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and name dropping is a phenomenal thing to, to do when you're SE. And, and the other... Um, the other skill that you're teaching yourself there, which you probably don't realise, is is active listening. Yep. You are forcing yourself to actively listen to what the other person is saying. And, and again, we as human beings are pretty terrible at actively listening to conversations. But the people that come across as being... Um, and there's a book about this called The Charisma Myth. Um, I've forgotten the name of the... L- lady something we'll put it in the show notes (laughs) yeah in the notes put it in the notes there's a book called the charisma myth which is phenomenal it's not just phenomenal for se's it's phenomenal for life skills um but one of the things i talk about in there is is active listening and we as human beings are awful at actively listening to what people are telling us because we've already wandered off yep um and so, yeah, you, what you've what you've done there, and you've probably not realised you've done that, is you've actively you forced yourself to actively listen because you need to remember their name, and so you've made yourself be it, attentive. It felt good as well. Like oddly enough, like see, I, I think it's because I, I don't like being rude, and I, I tend to be I, I like trying to pay attention to meeting people for the first time, and I always tend to give them my full attention. But when I say full attention, there sometimes ninety percent of the time that might only be fifty <laughs> or seventy five percent. Like you say, it's yeah. easy to get distracted, uh, and especially in the new environments and stuff. So being able to kind of focus that hundred percent attention, at least even on the first thirty seconds, I wouldn't even say it was more than that. The first thirty seconds of meeting that person and maybe just linking something in your brain like and it made a massive difference to the point where one or two people i'd go up to I remember one guy anthony and then there was jj beachy and a few other people like, and uh, these yeah. are all people that i talked to on the first day i remember their name i talked to them on the second day and i'm like all right beachy and he's like did we talk yesterday <laughs> yes <laughs> do you know what i mean like so uh, it's good skill i'm definitely going to push that every time i go tack on i think as a wee party trick it's a, it's a brilliant skill, and 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 again, we as humans love self-validation, and so those people like because you remembered Anthony or Beachy, whoever it was, on the second day, those people will have a much stronger neurological connection to you the next time you meet those people because you self-validated them because yep. you remember their name on the second day, and so yeah, again in an SE situation that is really really powerful. 
Yeah. But even just as a life skill, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, for sure. Well, it was a, it was a fun wee one. Um, it was fun. It's what, what spawned starting Ouija cast. Uh, I've got a few Arguably. questions from from the the other spheres. So, like, I asked, I asked questions in my, my Discord channel as we were, as we were answering that one. Um, one 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 that's come up, one question that's come up quite a lot here is: Have you got any advice for people who are potentially changing careers? Because I know that you went from like a non kind of security job into security. Like, have you have you got any advice on that front? Yeah, um, so I, I think we covered this a little bit earlier, and and that was was around pushing, not pushing your agenda as such, but pushing the fact that you know things outside of your job role mm-hmm. to your your direct reports, you know, or to your to your line manager or to your senior manager or a team leader, whatever that happens to be, um, because then you, you become this source of knowledge if if you're pushing. I know how to reverse malware. I know how to trace potentially phishing emails. I know how to look up the URLs that the phishing email is going to and seeing what that does. You then become a a, a, a known center of knowledge. And then other people are going to start coming to you when incidents or things happen um, because you know about these things. So that's really, really good. Um, it definitely requires... Dedication. So I, I, I don't know about you and you switched, but I, I spent a long time of my own time uh, in the evenings, and I'm talking, you know, months, probably even a year, if maybe even a bit longer than that, just sitting at home in the evening, every bloody evening, reading, trying stuff, doing things, asking questions, getting bad answers because people were fed up with me asking <laughs> questions having to go away and research stuff <laughs> on my own, find out my own things, trial and error, hitting my head against a brick wall because something things wasn't working. You just got to keep at it. And and that is probably my greatest um, tip, if you like. Just keep going at it. You've got to keep going at it and keep going at it. If you hit a brick wall, take a break. Come back to it. Your diffuse brain will have solved those problems. Keep at it. Don't stop. Don't let anybody on people or you know on places like twitter or social media say you can't do those things that is bollocks absolute bollocks you can do anything you you want to do if you put your mind to it so keep at it keep pushing yourself keep learning the opportunity will come excellent that's a great great answer yeah for sure we think we've got another one on twitter so it's been kind of bounced back and forth between these uh let's see what we got Uh, if you could teach everyone one command line tool what would it be and why and that's from our last ca- uh, guest John Carroll ah okay yeah yeah one command line tool um so this is for me subjective depending on what you want to do you know in, in your sphere if you like um for me uh T-Shark um T-Shark or TCP dump, I, I pick up those as much as possible because those are the most useful tools for me when I'm out doing industrial control system type testing. Um, it's basically your eyesight, I, isn't it, in those circumstances, like being able to yeah. see everything and conceptualize it. And uh, I mean, would you normally go for a command line uh, there rather than something like Wireshark? Uh, would that tend to be your go-to, just out of interest? 
It depends on the situation. Cool. So if I'm given um, if I'm given a host that is not mine, uh, and it might be the clients, then the, the the chances are I'm given a command line. Um, and and what's useful is if you know how to do things in the command line, the same commands, options, or whatever are probably present in the GUI. Yeah. So, you know, T-sharp, you can do roughly the same things in the GUI as you can do in the command line. The command line, for me, is more useful because I come across that in more limited situations, as in I've been limited and they don't want to give me full access to have a GUI or something along those lines. But I know if I want to filter on a specific IP address or, or don't want to see traffic from that specific IP address, I know how I can do that within T-Shark itself, but I also know that that facility will be available within the GUI, so I can read up on how to do that. But yeah, yeah that's a very that fair was... point because you couldn't do it. Yeah, if you know how to use the GUI and you maybe understand and you'll be able to fun- fumble around maybe with the terminal application uh, to eventually get to what you need or quick Google, obviously, sometimes. But like, I think yeah. certainly for me, the tools, like, I think a good example of this is like uh, Ethercap, uh, where. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I, sure, I could jump on the GUI and use that, and it's handy and it's good and stuff, but being able, the, the ability to jump onto, like, command line tools gives me a far better understanding of what's going on behind the scenes or makes me more aware of the options, and it helps me learn stuff at a more granular level than maybe what using a GUI does. Uh, I guess that's the joy of a GUI, is simplicity, and command line just <laughs> shoves it down your neck that you need to yeah. learn exactly what you're doing here well, and no, that seems important I, I suppose there's a counter argument to that so the, the GUI is mm-hmm. great because it gives you a visual represent, representation of what you're doing and the command line might be a little bit more difficult but more often than not there is the man command you can you can run the manual page and, and find more about the command line and while the GUI has it can be difficult to read though well, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not defending that but I'm saying that it has more of a, a helpful function built in now there is mm-hmm. F1 if you press F on your keyboard most GUI applications will pop a help menu um, and I mean not all of them will but they'll give you somewhat information and I find that the man page generally speaking certainly in Linux systems tends to be or Unix systems tend to be better than the, the F1 help pages so no, that's probably yeah. true I don't doubt that <laughs> but what I think often stumps people and I guess in my early days I came across this a fair bit I don't know if you, you guys have come across this as well but if if I'm used to using a GUI and then all of a sudden I'm in a restricted environment where I can only use a command line, but I need the same set of tools. It's more shocking to me to have to try and use the command line. And so I'd rather learn that first and then go to the GUI because the GUI in theory is easier. Prepare for the worst and then take it from there that's my logic yeah yeah, yeah. that's my logic too i think yeah I, i'd fair. agree with that i've seen there's certainly been environments certainly when i've been streaming capture flags and stuff where i've landed in vi fucking hate vi <laughs> and how do you exit how do you exit i don't again? know I'm still still stuck in that Power the machine off, right? <laughs> just turn it off yeah. hope for the best yeah yeah that's what i do power off yeah <laughs> um there's, there's one more question here from well it's combination twitter and and um, other so it's it's more of an ics kind of question um mm. do you think that the smart grid integration is a good idea or a bad idea I don't know what it is, so I'm going to assume you know what it is. <laughs> I, I do, and I've tested, I've tested um, 
the 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 front and the back end to the spark <laughs> spark grid. Um, and so the, let's not talk about the good and the whether it's I think it's a good idea. Let's talk about the pros and cons. I can I can give so, you the, so the question was phrased in two ways. It was phrased in an easy to read way, but it was also phrased in a very professional way. Which what are the biggest challenges um, that cities slash countries will face with smart grid integration in the future? And then it equated to is it good or bad? Okay. So the the challenges are going to be we're obviously in a very power hungry energy consumption world at the moment right and i'm not sure that our power capacity is quite keeping up with the demand at the moment so the positives of smart grid is that you have the facility or somebody has the facility and this is where it's bad it might not necessarily be you but somebody has the facility to go this person is consuming too much let's limit that a little bit um and that could be remote um but you know we're being sold smart grids from a capacity planning point of view in that they can understand when there are peak demands and then troughs so that they can conserve or build up reserves. Um, and those are definitely good positives. The downside is that, and, and we, can, we can give a really good example here, water. In the UK, water companies are not allowed to cut off your water if you are in arrears right so if you owe the water company thousands and thousands of pounds because you've been using their service but have never paid for it they can keep chasing you and they can send debt collectors after you and stuff like that but they are not legally allowed to cut off your water supply okay but if you go outside of the uk they are allowed to restrict your water supply. And I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but let's say it's 10 litres. They are allowed to restrict your water supply so that they only provide you with 10 litres of water a day using smart type technologies. Oof. Yes, that's, that's interesting. That's not great, is it? So, they, mm. so they've got a, a bigger hold, as it were, over you from a smart perspective. Mm. Yeah. That's quite interesting. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a question that, that came across um, one of the groups I mentor and it got asked, and I was like, I don't know what smart grid is, but I'll ask it, because Chris will know. I'm, I'm sure I've heard it thrown about before, so. No, oh, that's a really interesting one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, our, our, our AI overlords are on the way. Skynet. <laughs> Skynet. Yeah, <laughs> Skynet. yeah. Skynet's um, coming. Here's another one from uh, at Habitually Latty. Um do you think Infosec Twitter is a net positive or a net negative? I think we've kind of touched upon that already, but yeah, um, I I think there's 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 both, and I think it's up to you as a Twitter user to to construct your timeline based on what you want to see, and bear in mind that the logarithms or whatever, the, the, the logic behind Twitter will reinforce what you look at. Yeah, massively so. So if you keep looking at protests or if you keep looking at right wing or left wing or, or, or whatever, Twitter will keep showing you that. Whereas if you are sensible and clever and go, right, I'm really interested in reverse engineering, I'm only going to follow... 
you know, 500 people who are publicly on Twitter that are really into reverse engineering. And that is what I'm going to restrict my newsfeed to. And I'm not going to click on anything else. Then Twitter is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, because Twitter shows you, yeah, it shows you all the good stuff. It shows you all the latest up-to-date techniques. It shows you all the stuff that's developing. It shows you all the stuff that people are research- researching and publishing. And that side of Twitter is fantastic. Yeah. The other side of Twitter, if you go down these rabbit holes or if you look at stuff that's out of your subject uh, matter that you want to look at, it'll keep showing you that shit and reinforcing it to you and then Twitter becomes a dumpster fire and... and Chaos. It becomes chaos. It's how you use it. It's like like we said earlier, no matter what tool it is, it's how you use it and choose to use it, which is why a bloody infosec tool can't be considered malicious because it's all about what happens in the person, the 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 person that's holding it, I guess. Wielding the power at you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So yeah, Twitter, it, that, that is my view of Twitter. And and I freely admit there have been times that I have taken breaks from Twitter. And, and if you look at my timeline, it's, that's very obvious because it's not doing what I wanted to do. And so yeah. I have to disengage from it to the point where I uninstall it from my, my, my phone so that I don't see it and don't look at it. Or can't be tempted to look at it, mm-hmm. and then I go right. I, I've got this back under control again. I'm, I'm, um, I'm happy with what I want to use Twitter for. Let's stick it back on again, and and then you know you, you you see the things that you want to see again, and you follow the things that you want to follow again, and that's that's the way to use Twitter for my, to my mind. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, I'm noticing that we're just hitting about two hours, 13 minutes, uh, which is becoming pretty much the theme um, with all what? of our podcasts. And it's because we're speaking to interesting people, I think. It's exactly it. Man. There's so <laughs> many others that I could, I'm sure there's like a thousand other <laughs> things that we could probably that's, discuss that, with you. That's but not to we, say that our previous guests well, haven't been interesting that haven't hit like two hours. It just seems to be that like when we initially started podcasts, we were quite stringent on time scales and like, right, we only want this to be 30 minutes and then we moved up to an hour and literally we only want this to be an hour and then it was like an right, hour and a half and it's like well the last six episodes have been over two hours and they've actually been really interesting because we cover really interesting yeah. topics so I think it's it's entirely worth it I suppose on that basis this is a public uh, shout out to Steve Wilson because we feel like we underchanged you in regards to how much time you had because you were right on this cusp of uh, not a lot of time and you're a very interesting person. So if you're listening to this, uh, if you want to do a round two of WeegeeCast, um, we're in for it. We're, 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 um, we're quids in. Um, yeah, I suppose there's, there's time for maybe two two more questions plus the kind of general mm-hmm. general outro. So the, the, the two questions that we've got from previous casts, uh, one from Phil, a.k.a. Yeki, um, which is mm-hmm. an interesting question. If you could teleport anywhere in the world, would cities become a thing of the past? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Straight, straight up, that's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because... Well, cities are good for centralised things, lots of things being accessible in one central location, whereas if you could teleport anywhere, then that wouldn't need to be in a... You know, you wouldn't need um, uh, Denmark Street, which is where all the great guitar shops are. You wouldn't need them to be there in the one centralised locations where you could go to 10 guitar shops in in an hour. Well, 
maybe 10 hours for me. Because um, <laughs> you could teleport to any amazing guitar shop anywhere in the world. So, yeah, yeah that's buy a, cities. Uncentralised, I guess, would be what would happen there. De- uh, Decentralised. Whatever, shop. Yeah. Fuck, fuck you. Well, fuck I don't like what big words are. So the, the, the grammar, the, the, spelling that. Oh, <laughs> I'm not good at spelling. I can't spell any of the words I've said this evening. I tried to spell them to, to <laughs> me. I was like, not a chance. Now, the, the last question here from previous cast is, where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Um, well, I'm old, so maybe retired? That'd be the dream. <laughs> that would be the dream, yeah. See, I'd imagine I would have been right and on the money with... Uh, you seem like the kind of guy that would very much appreciate free time because you'll make some the most of it. It sounds like you like to engage yourself and learn a lot of stuff. Is that something that you hope will continue? Uh, kind of into retirement, would you say, on that side of the spectrum? Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the old hypothetical question, what would you do if you won the lottery? The wife and I talk about all the time. We don't play the lottery, but this is the, the conversation, you know, that you have. Oh, the, you know, you see the adverts. The Euro Millions is 150 million this year or this week. What would you do? Blah, blah, blah. And it, it's never uh, I'm going to retire and do nothing yep. and, and, you know, just have a massive guitar and car collection it's like right i can go and do all these training courses because i can afford to do them now and and you know maybe we'll, we'll go and buy a, a a place in vegas so that we can do training courses in vegas and have somewhere to to go and then you know we go here and we do that and we yeah it's it's for me it's learning learning and that's why what's you know that's why i'm in this industry because yeah. it's constant learning it's awesome it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life, almost like it something is, that I've found, yeah. and I never had before. I've had the last ten years of my life that um, I'm the same as yourself. I'm never going to see that as a waste. It's given me a lot of interpersonal skills, which help with things like doing podcasts, funnily enough. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah, it's like it just it does become a way of life, and I'll be very happy if I get to the tail end of my career uh, and I'm feeling the exact same way. But I, I don't think that comes easy. It comes with a bit of work. Like, yeah, you get out what you put but then, in. Exactly, but then again, you adjust to it, and it becomes a lifestyle, and then it becomes normal. It's the same thing as practice. You, you practice yep. learning, perfect. and then perfect practice makes good perfect. It. It's a thing that Bruce Lee said. The, the one, the one phrase. I mean, we're we're going back to good old Brucey, but uh, the one thing that that gets said a lot is practice makes perfect. And my karate instructor put it perfectly. You can be really great at something or really shit at something. If you practice being shit at something every single day, you become really good at being shit at it. <laughs> yeah. If you perfect, if you like perfect your practice truth. at being good at something, you become great at it. Absolutely. Oh, that's that's a nice note. I think to follow boy wrap up on my uh, inspirational for a lot of people. Unless, of course, you've got any questions for us, which is one of the things you asked on Twitter. Like, we had a bunch of questions for you. And you're like, can I ask you questions? And <laughs> I, I figured it's it's only fair. Like, do you have any questions for Dave or I? I do, but I'm really conscious of time. Hey, we'll, we'll answer them, Chris. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I All think right. you might mean he's hungry. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, I am hungry, and I can, I can smell my dinner downstairs because oh, the oh. wife has cooked. It's the wife's turn to cook tonight. Uh, and I can smell my dinner downstairs, so I am really hungry. Um, but let's, let's ask. Let's ask you both the flip question then to you just ask me where do you see yourselves in 10 years time oh shit that's a good one but 
Well, I guess I'll start. So I'm very much at the beginning of my career, uh, but certainly what I'm realising is, uh, with the amount of time... I'm really proud of what I've done. I don't normally kind of big myself up much in that regard, but I'm proud of what I've done in the last year. Like I've, I've definitely accelerated my learning to a point that I didn't think was possible. Um, I don't think it's hollow either. Like There's a lot of foundation there to build upon. Like, so I'm excited to have 10 years to build upon that. Uh, and this is really the start of the journey. So um, I think in 10 years' time... I think I certainly probably want to have done a bit of pen testing and maybe want to have done a bit of social engineering. But I think at that stage, I'd probably want to be passing that along to somebody else in some regard uh, through their mentorship or um, something along those lines. So no matter what I'm doing, I think at that point, I want to be helping somebody else get the opportunities that people like Carrie Hendricks, uh, my boss, have given me. So I guess that's where I want to be. Okay, nice. Andy? Yeah, 10 years time. Well, I'm still quite young in my career, so a lot of people see me as, oh, you've been in the industry for ages, but I'm actually only 26. I'm still quite young. Uh, in 10 years' time, I think I see myself still mentoring people. I think I see myself doing a lot more purple teaming engagements if purple teaming is a thing in 10 years' time. Um, and I think, well, I might even move over into blue team full-time. I mean, I, I've enjoyed doing red teaming a lot, but the more that I see how much people struggle on the blue side of things and the more I understand that I actually equate it to make that an, an easier place. So I might actually be working in blue, time, blue team in 10 years' time, we'll see. Um, or or I may be doing something completely different. I mean, someone asked me this question when I first started my career. When do you, Where do you see yourself in 20 years' time? And, I mean, I've been in IT now for... Well, I've been in IT since I was 12, so, like, almost almost 15 years. Um, and, like, realistically, 20 years' time, probably see myself doing maybe something different. Maybe I'll go and become a rally driver or something. I said that on um, <laughs> in my interview with, uh, with Luke Turvey on his channel. I said something else, which is choice words. Probably probably uh, regret it now. We can dink it out. But I, I think I, I quality to driving um, and some form of driving would be quite good fun to do. So maybe I'll find myself doing that. Or maybe that'll be my hobby in 10 years time. We'll see. The world yeah. is our oysters. Yeah, f- fuck yeah. autonomous vehicles and fuck EVs. It's all about petrol heads, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Classic, Andy. That's very on brand. Uh, uh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Chris, uh, th- this has been an honest, honestly a great chat. I've been, as I say, looking forward to this uh, since pretty much we started in the podcast. And uh, uh, Andy said that it was more than likely we'll eventually get you on. So, um, is there anything you want to direct people towards of your work? Uh, I know you mentioned DEFCON talks a few times just in closing notes um no but i i'm gonna pick up on something that you've both said really and that is mentoring if anybody wants my advice or wants me to mentor them in in social engineering or industrial control systems then give me a shout i am more than happy to to share my knowledge um and it would be a real honor to to help anybody so yeah Give me a shot. To those people in that sphere, that is a fucking golden ticket. So <laughs> I'm sure I'll yeah, hopefully tap no into that myself at some point, Chris. Um, no problem. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, we thank will you. catch you all on the next podcast. I'm not 100% sure what guest that will be, uh, but thanks for listening. I've got a few ideas for next guest, but we'll, yeah, we'll see in the next episode. I think potentially the next episode might be the security queens. We'll see. We'll see if I can get them all on, on one call at one time, but they're, they're very busy ladies. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening. This has been episode 13, and um, have a wonderful day, evening, afternoon, whenever you're listening to us. Cheers, folks. Bye.